Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we, as I'm fond of, now fond of saying, we're only ever discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And today, I'm not lying, we are here to discuss a Revelation record with a real star, uh, a number under the star, right? A real star. Yeah. And uh, Rev thirty eight, yeah, Rev thirty eight. Oh, I, you know what? Thunder, Jason. You I know he stole my thunder, Jason. What are we talking about today? Today we were talking about Engine Kids' final LP, Angel Wings Revelation Records, number thirty eight. Double LP too. Double LP. Thank you. This is a long. I mean, I I, I only have the cassette. There's so much fucking tape inside of this. That it's it's gnarly. Let's to take see. a gander. Yeah, you see that? Let's see it. That looks like fifty-eight minutes and thirty seconds worth of music. <laughs> there's yeah, there's a cutoff too, just like uh, records and CDs, I suppose. It doesn't have a, a a number on here, but it. We'll talk about this later too. There are some really interesting differences between the, all the formats. All the formats. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, you know what's crazy? Remember 90-minute blank tapes, though? Yes. They must have had to work very hard. Or right? one, there was 110, I think, even. Or 120, 90-minute yeah, and 120. 120. So, Greg, you've been, you've dipped your toes into the wild world of cassette collectors recently. So you're starting to notice some of this crazy stuff that I see every day, right? I'm also noticing that they're not always as cheap as you'd think they'd be. Yeah, I noticed like, that also. Like, you kind of just assume, like... I had a couple, I had, I've, I've had tapes, you know, I, when I first started buying music, it was tapes, mm-hmm. but it was, but I was actually just telling, um, friend and patron of the pod, Matthew Berliant, uh, right before we recorded that I started buying, like, I bought my first like actual real tape, like not like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack or MC uh-huh. Hammer. Um, when I bought, you know, the REM out of time in late 91 but then by christmas of 92 i had a cd player so i probably had like you know a dozen tapes or something Mm -hmm. something like that maybe a little more but you know looking now i'll be like oh like you know they'll be cheap they'll be like uh 25 cents and yeah yeah no you can get them for but depending on the group you can get them like i've been searching for rem cassettes yeah because i have that sweet rem branded walkman uh-huh. and they're like two to five dollars each which is fine yeah that's you know what, that's it, what I it depends on the band and on the genre even like i could probably find a nine inch nails tape for meh, eight to twelve dollars like out in the wild x you know the punk band x yeah. i could get a tape for maybe like uh four to eight dollars but then like a youth of today cassette is like fucking twenty five dollars, yeah, or something like that. You know, it, it kind of goes up uh, accordingly. And what what I like and what I always brag about is if you're hunting for tapes out in Discogs or eBay or something like that, you can still find sealed cassettes out there. And I got a little bit duped. You know, I love to do the the cassette unboxing here on the show i had a sealed angel wings cassette 
And then I examined it more. And this has happened to me one other time. It was like a reseal. It wasn't factory sealed. It was like someone put it in shrink wrap, maybe at a store or something like that. So it was a fake factory sealed tape. Well, I mean, it's, it's still cool, but you know, I was a little, it looks bummed. pretty minty though. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, this is a, you know, this is a, the thing I think is the most fun for me about them is a couple things. One, much like with vinyl, really any of the physical mediums, it kind of makes you just listen to the whole thing. Now, oh, yeah, yeah, CDs, the whole thing was like you could skip. Okay, fine. But um, like cassettes, like when you when you put them in, like you're you're in for the long haul. You're locked into an the, album. Do they have the best sound? No, but like I I will say, is this a hot take that pre- presentation wise, looking at the spines of cassette setup is cooler than any of them. Cause I mean, yeah. I know you can't yeah. see like can't cassettes, see. like when, when, um, uh, there's a store in, uh, new England, want to hear it records that I ended up, they, they had that, uh, I sent you Hob uh, the picture of, it was like, it was basically like the nineties threw up in cassette form. Yeah. And there was just all this stuff. And I, I got a couple things there and yeah, some were like, you know, a little more, when I say expensive, I mean like 12 bucks and sure. of, you know, three. Sure. And um, it was great because you can see everything. Like you can see exactly what the, the albums are, like just looking at the picture. Um, but yeah, yeah, they just look cool. And- tapes have cool artwork on the spine too, or packaging. Uh, Reaper put out a terror zero tolerance cover. Yeah. And it's, it's a, like kind of an, they call this an O card. You know, it's like a cardboard box that goes around it and it's a single sleeve. Yeah, like that's fucking cool, man. Or like I love OB strips in general, but seeing an OB strip on a tape is fucking awesome. And And they're uh, just like they're kind of um, like a record you want to be careful with. You don't really want to, you know, like you don't manhandle it or whatever. Uh, a CD even it's like you still want to be careful you don't want to like scratch the bottom or but the cassettes you can kind of just like throw them around yeah, a it's not bit. as fragile you just have to kind of worry about warping because of heat um, and that's about it or sometimes the tape gets eaten for whatever reason oh, yeah. but I enjoy listening to cassettes while I work in my office for the reason you said like I have to listen to the whole thing and it's on my boombox on the other side of my office now so I literally put a tape in and then I have to listen to the whole side yeah. And so you can get lost. And uh, I've recently been buying more um, harsh noise or noise cassettes. There's a label called Deathbed Tapes. Um, shout out to Deathbed Tapes. I know they'll never hear this, but still they got some cool shit. And uh, I tell them Hob sent you. My wife will come in and be like, is something broken in here? What the fuck is that noise? And I'm like, it's literally noise. I'm listening to the sub clinic in the back or some shit like that. So but it, is, it is funny because it's like, the other day I was playing the tapes while working and I'm like, how backwards is this? Like I'm working from home. Uh-huh. Right. But like, like I have, you have the whole, like you can basically listen to any album ever in some way, shape or form, whether you download it or streaming or YouTube. And here I am with like a couple cassettes, just like listening to them, but it was fun. I don't know why I'm shaking my head. I have yeah. three 100 tape holders on my wall in my office and they're filled up. I need to buy another one right now, but I have almost one and a half rows 
So like about 24 um, Revelation Records tapes. Okay. Now. And, what was uh, the first? What was the first tape that you ever bought? Ever in the genre. The cure, the cure standing on the beach. God damn. Oh, that's man. a good one. And I, that's a and great I, one. And I still have it. I think that's Do what you? it is. Yeah, I still have it. It broke. So then I had to buy another one. That one broke too. So then I bought another one. So now I have three copies of it. And then right around that time, I also bought like Led Zeppelin 2 on cassette and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers Mother's Milk. Okay. And... De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. God this is damn, all like great record. seventh you know what my grade. My first three were literally mm. hit us. I had I bought uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles original motion picture soundtrack, which Jason 19, has never seen in 1990. Still haven't which, seen it. You know, this is how little I was in third grade, and the cassette. You know how they open up? What do they yeah. call that? The J card? Yeah. Okay. And it unfolds and it had perforations. I thought you were supposed to separate them. Like trading cards? Yeah. So I like separated them <laughs> and I was like, oh man. And then I had, I think, Vanilla Ice to the extreme and um, MC Hammer, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. They nice. were, like, my three first tapes that I remember getting. My first show ever, MC Hammer, Oaktown 357. Wow. New edition. Did, yeah. Did you know that Oaktown 357 is actually the name of a dance? Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's kind of no, like the, it's kind of like the running man where you like replace one foot with another, but instead of running like the running man, one leg goes behind the other one. Maybe I'll I'll demonstrate it for you someday, but um but You've heard of the band before. Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I'm no, not a I only most people would have. I know no new addition. I knew <laughs> yeah. MC Ronnie, Hammer. And Bobby, then I, and then, Ricky, and yeah. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. Why did I like but that shows I mean, I was like nine. Yeah, I mean, this is so ten. long ago. You know, yeah. I'm old. And then fuck, I, so. I had um but I did have a like before I bought CDs, I did like like my first Sonic Youth was dirty. Mm-hmm. which I got on tape when it came I had, out. I had goo on tape. I don't, you um, know, I, I, just, I got rid of a lot of tapes because they just weren't, I don't know. They just weren't as, I got, I got back into collecting tapes at some point, but so I, I got rid of a lot of tapes. Yeah. Before we uh, get into this interview. Yeah. When, when do you think was the point? Cause there was a point where cassettes were like maybe neck and neck with vinyl. And then when switch to CDs, neck and neck with CDs, when do you think they really stopped? Like, because I've been looking, like I said, I wanted the REM stuff, and it looks like their well, album Up from '98 has a cassette that yeah. was easy to find, and then after that, they either didn't have cassettes or it would be like only in other countries. Yeah, and I would probably say, hmm. yeah, like around that time, thinking about it, because if you think about it in terms of hardcore bands, like I'm still getting mixtapes from people in '96. Yeah. Same here. 97, but then by 98, it's it's all CDs. Yeah. The, but there's still people putting out demos, right? There was still the floor punch demo. But that was I know 95. I got that on tape. Yeah. That no, and it's still like in my eyes. Yeah, in my eyes demo was 97. Yeah, and that yeah, was I mean, a tape. They, 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 yeah, American right, Nightmares demo right brigade. Was, was a tape. Right yeah, Brigade. Right American brigade. Nightmare. So that's what, 98, 99? The explosion. Yeah. I think yeah. we also had But then by, by 2000, it's all... Um, you know, CDRs. For yeah, one up was yeah, like, CDRs. A, you're right. Yeah, yeah, Go and maybe spray tape. painted. Go time at a tape that was the end of 2000. Uh huh. And then one up we had in 2002 we had CDs and tapes. Yeah. 
So well, we don't have anything to. Oh, sorry. Today, do we? Right? Not really uh, anything. You know I what? I say- just I just want to give a a quick bit of bow to Anthony Papalardo, who has brightened up all of our uh, weeks and actually has been really inspiring to me and makes me wish that I would have uh, written more in my life. Cause I've always been vaguely interested in writing, but I know that that's like something that you kind of, you don't have to, but it helps if you go to school for and you practice it every day. It's just like music. It's just like writing a song on a guitar or whatever. Like there's definitely things that you can learn to help you along. And the way that Anthony Papalardo analyzes music yeah. and talks about music and skateboarding stuff, it is very inspirational. And so I just wanted to give him, it's been really nice getting to know him through the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. I, uh, I love the guy. Like, I think he's fun. I've always thought he was funny. Like even reading as a kid, reading like the interviews with 10 yard fight when he was in 10 yard fight. And, you know, this was all pre-internet. And then of course him on the X X message board, some people will remember that board. And um, yeah, it was cool. We, uh, I guess to say, we've been having a lot of bonus content for patrons so check out the link in our Instagram bio if you're on Instagram or just where it went podcast.com. Tons of bonus stuff. Uh, a little bit after this comes out, there'll be an episode of uh, where we did quicksand mixes with Anthony. Um, and that'll be bonus only. We did the slip episode. We did the interiors and there's more bonus stuff coming. Hella bonus stuff. Hear the, yeah. If you yeah. want to hear this stuff, hit up that link and uh check it out yeah we have a lot to we have a lot to offer we really stepped up the bonus content for our patrons so um check that out um otherwise should we should we kick it yeah kick it today to discuss well we already told you what we're here to discuss engine kids magnum opus angel wings i feel like i use that a lot though magnum opus master masterpiece um angel wings and greg and jason who are you know my cohorts we're joined today by special guest tony retman what's up tony Hello, thanks for having me. Oh man, it is a pleasure to have you here, and kind of a a, a nice surprise. Like I, I I wouldn't have ever with with the output that I see you with books and stuff and the and the internet. I would have expected more of like a New York hardcore, you know, uh, um, inclusion from you. So when Greg told us that you wanted to talk about Angel Wings, I was like, that's fucking cool. You know, like it's, it's to me, not the usual suspects. Well, honestly, you, you really didn't ask me to be on for Revelation 1 through 10. So <laughs> <laughs> called out. Damn. Uh, but honestly, yeah, the, the Angel Wings record is still a record I listen to a lot. 
And it means a lot to me. So again, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, I have a wide ranging taste. So even though I write books about straight edge New York hardcore, that's not really what I sit around listening to all the time. That's just, you know, my roots. Look, I love like that. Good. Yeah. People might think that I'm like a, a revelation or New York hardcore fuck boy, but my listening tastes are definitely not buried in like 1986 New York hardcore, but we're also joined. Yeah. Greg, you, you got that one for us. We're also joined today sitting in the room all together for the first time in over 20 years are the three members of engine kid. Where are you guys at right now? <laughs> the Vagabond. Uh, beautiful downtown Glendale at the uh, Vagabond Inn. Uh, Brian Kraft, uh, Crafty, he uh, drove all the way down from Spokane, Washington, to uh, come down uh, for this interview. For this interview. <laughs> yes. Uh, Thank you. Know, you. We, got, uh, we got Jade celebrating a birthday at the end of the week. And um, and uh, we're using this all as an excuse to uh, hang out and maybe even make some music. So we'll see. Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking time and, and speaking with us. Uh, and I think, is this our first 95? Because it, well, the back of mine says this came out in 94, but then I think it came out in 95, yeah. one of those things, which I, I, I feel like that's something we'll talk about because I was reading in the, I got the box set. Oh yeah, uh, everything left inside that Southern Lord did earlier this year for Record Store Day, and I feel like there's a bit of a story there too about maybe the discrepancy of when it was supposed to come out and when it finally did come out. Maybe so. Yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. We could talk about that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I guess we could get into the. This isn't your first record. This is the first, not even the first record on Revelation because there was the Iceburn split. Before that, um, how many how many records did you guys have? We had one full length and an EP uh, before that, and then a seven inch that um, I actually released on a, a label that I had back in the early nineties. I had a uh, a little label that released seven inches only actually it's called battery records and the last release on battery records actually was the first engine kid seven inch um and then there was an ep uh that came out called astronaut and there was a full-length album called bear catching fish and that was preceding um the split with iceberg and of course influence so we discussed you know, the history leading up to the Iceburn Engine Kids split. If anybody wants to listen to that episode, I highly recommend it. And then did you start, like, how did this record come about? And the uh, length of this record, you know, is, is a thing that we're going to have to tackle here. But it was like, okay, we got this one record on Rev. Let's do this next one on Rev. Did you start writing with the intent of a full length that would take up two 12 inches or, you know, how did that process go? I, I think we were young and we just wanted to ambitious as, as much as we could, as quick as we could. Kind of like was, sex or something. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I was kind of like having a lot of sex 
yeah. for the first time. <laughs> you really get into somebody, like, and that's this is all great. you do. Yeah, it's like no, you we're, can't. I, this is my life now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all I want to do. Like, yeah, stay at home, uh, bed peace, like John and Yoko, mm-hmm. and stay in bed all day long. Yeah, just produce. Yeah, that's what we wanted to do. That, but yeah, I think we also we we were like things were clicking and flowing and the chemistry was, was really strong and we were just constantly coming up with stuff and we were constantly practicing. It was like very regimented and almost militant how much the practices and how much we did. So we were constantly together playing music, having sex. And um, <laughs> um, so it just, you know, we had all this music and it was like, wow, you know, it, it for us, it was kind of like, well, that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. We wrote all this stuff. We're going to document it. I mean, um, even to the point that there was stuff that, you know, you mentioned the length of it. There was actually a song that was left off originally um, from the, uh, from the album that, that we really didn't realize or discover until I went through the tapes for this stuff, the original master tapes, when we were doing these reissues. I'm like, Oh shit, there's a whole other song that we left off and um and then when we listened back to it we're like why did we leave this off this is a killer song but for whatever reason maybe it was time length or maybe we just didn't feel at the time or maybe it wasn't finished i don't i don't really don't remember why we left the song which was a song called angel dust but yeah we had a lot of we had a lot of material we were just that's what was happening at the time so uh i mean in hindsight we probably could have split it up a bit a little bit more like you know choosy about what we put out maybe even put out two records but and save some but at the time it was just like this is what we're this is it this is what we're about this is what we're doing this is what it's the document is going to be you know and these songs fit together yeah we're we were definitely like a well-oiled machine and and to speak to the militancy like i think we practiced like six days a week for like four hours a day for like almost two months to get ready for angel wings and we were we were kind of monkish in our dedication to it. It's like that's we were we were like mono. It was one hobby, one pastime. And yeah. like you know, you're in your early twenties and you're just kind of living. Your identity is is what you're doing, and that was what was so great about that. And I think I hear it in the album too. Just like the the musical commitment, and you you know you kind of hear the sweat in the in the yeah. hours in there. And and we were in it. We were like in that sort of like that space of creation and. And very much um, beholden to each other musically, and it was great. That was what was so great about that time. So um, I wanted to ask Tony, when were you like, were you actively listening to uh, Engine Kid in the '90s? Like, were you already familiar with Bear Catching Fish and the Split? And then this came out, and you got it as it came out, or how did you? Yeah, um, I, I want to say the first Engine Kid record I bought was the Bear Catching Fish record. And I knew, you know, I know who Greg was, et cetera. Um, so I was into it and I kind of just followed along. And, um, you know, the reason I, I guess I, I was attracted to, to Engine Kid and their music was, you know, at, at that time, I guess I was like a lot of other people. I was kind of like getting bored with hardcore and uh, getting into other music, um, again, I had like a much older brother who was the guy who got me into punk and hardcore. And then at that point, he was way beyond anything. Um, so he was turning me on to 
like avant-garde jazz and psychedelic rock and weird modern composers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, at that time when I was kind of getting out of hardcore, there were, I guess, what you would call like the post-core bands that would have been on Revelation uh, labels like that. And uh, uh, they weren't they weren't my thing. I don't know. Um, to me, it was just like, well, now I'm I, I don't play hardcore anymore. Now I'm just going to play indie rock or I'm going to play like like something like Jane's Addiction or something like it didn't seem very challenging to me. And uh, I really liked Slint and the Spiderland record, again, like a lot of people then. So that definitely was what attracted me to Engine Kid. And then, like, as I followed along in their growth, it was cool because it was like, oh, these guys came from the same place I did. And they seem to be influenced by, you know, the stuff that I'm listening to, like, like Casper Grotzman or, you know, Free Jazz or even, you know, Slint or like Side 2 Black Flag, like, it was all these elements of stuff that I liked and it was kind of like the only game in town. Uh, there we go. Only game in town um, for like, for that when you're talking about like post hardcore. So uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's uh, my, my essay on why I like engine kid. Um, <laughs> and the angel yeah. wing record definitely like when that came out was super cool to me. I remember I say it came out like early summer because I remember, uh, again, my brother uh, still works at this place called Princeton Record Exchange. And uh, when that record came in, I was like, oh, yeah, shit, I want to buy that. And, you know, at that time, Princeton Record Exchange was definitely the epitome of like that, whatever, uh, record store clerk snottiness, you know, eye rolls with every record they flip through as their pricing. And uh, I remember whoever was ringing me up, like looked at the back and like, they're doing John Coltrane with like, aren't these hardcore guys? Like, what are they doing? And I was like, just ring me up, <laughs> earn your 850. <laughs> but um, it was definitely one of these things where like, um, yeah, they were doing stuff that I was interested in at that time. It was definitely, yeah, that's, that's where my head was at. So that record and how it was a double record and it had the John Coltrane cover on it and everything else. It was, uh, yeah, it was perfect for that time for me. I want to just digress and say I love Princeton Record Exchange, by the way. Great oh, store. <laughs> Great store, but I can totally, like, I'm not surprised by that um, Well, the assessment. thing was, like, my brother worked there, and I still couldn't get a break. You know, they were still like, <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, sorry, yeah. But that's my reason I, yeah, the Engine Wings record definitely was a, a big thing for me. But I actually I have a question. Um to the guys in engine kid the uh like the jump from cz to revelation was that was there any reason for that because like you know cz was a pretty decent label and records got around so i was just kind of curious was it just that did jordan like offer a double record like or or something like the the jump from cz to revelation what was there any well story about that? it was it was kind of there's a few reasons but one of the the main reason really was that CZ Records was kind of going out of business. Okay. It had some financial issues and they had sold, I don't know, all or some portion of the company to um, Sony or Red. And um, the deal was basically based on that, that Sony or Red or whoever it was wanted this band seven year bitch. Mm -hmm. 
that was a really hot band at the time yeah. and thought they could go really well. So they basically just offered to buy out CZ Records and kind of get him out of some financial is- issues that he was in already. Mm-hmm. And when he trans, basically when that happened, the label was over. So there wasn't really a label anymore okay. for um, for us to work with. And the band had made a change. We um, are we had parted ways with our original drummer, and we got Jade. And when that happened, the band really just kind of took a different shape and became, to me, a lot more, a lot more powerful, a lot more focused. And we were just, and there's a lot of momentum that we felt together and we wanted to continue. Like we were so stoked, you know, we'd like, we found kind of, to me, what was like the perfect group, you know, like the, the drummer before Jade was, was good. And and you know we 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 made some good music with him, but our personalities didn't really gel. And our music to me was way more powerful than he was playing. He was more of a light hitter, you know. And when we got Jade, it was like, oh, here's what we need—the power. And it was just like so. Um, there's just much more depth and feeling to me. And and I think the the stuff that at least that I was writing, it was more what I envisioned. It was more realized with him playing in the grand, it just changed everything. So we were like on a roll, we were high from all this stuff, like, and um, we wanted to keep going. And basically CZ was not able to be a platform anymore and they weren't really in existence. So um, <laughs> so it was, it was weird. Like, you know, we, we, we become friends with, um, and we're really big fans of Iceburn. And we saw that oh they're on Revelation and and it's like dude I know Re- I know I know Jordan from um, Brotherhood when Brotherhood played in Connecticut we hung out with Jordan and he took us to the original Revelation offices and let us pick out all, any all the shirts and everything we wanted it was a dream come true for us at the time and you know kind of basically formed a friendship with Jordan at that time and um, so when we were looking for a new place to go. Um, you know, considering Iceburn, one of our favorite bands and our friends were on Revelation. It was like, oh, Revelation's also moving in, in a different direction musically. Uh, so it seemed like it would be, maybe this is a good fit for us. And so hit up Jordan, he was totally stoked. He'd already, as far as I remember, he'd already had Bear Catching Fish and was aware of what was going on, was uh, was into it. So when we asked him if he would be interested in working with us, he, uh, he said yes. And and then there we were. So it's like, cool. Now we have a platform to work off of with all this, this new music that we have created with this new lineup. And, and it was just, you know, it's on after that, you know? Right. All right. Yeah. Cool. Jade, were you coming from that same background of appreciating jazz and ha- or was it something that when you joined engine kid, did, did that spark that interest? No, I was definitely like into Coltrane and, it was actually a Spike Lee movie, Mo Better Blues, that kind of like sparked my interest in jazz. And there's a really sort of romantic genuflection to like Coltrane in that movie. And that kind of opened me up to jazz. And at that same time, I kind of started taking some drum lessons when I was like 19 or 20 to try to kind of elevate my playing. And, and I worked with this instructor that was really into dynamics. And we got, you know, playing one inch off the drum to like 16 inches off the drum. And it sort of lent itself to the jazz that I was listening to and dynamics. Um, but definitely that was another thing that, that Greg and Brian and I sort of grooved on is that we had that appreciation for like Coltrane and Miles and, 
and Greg kind of turned me on to deeper things like Eric Dolphy and Mahavishnu, which I had never heard of. Um, so yeah, it was just great to kind of, to join Greg and Brian who had been friends or acquaintance with for years, you know, other bands on bills and stuff like that. So it was a great opportunity for me because I was like focused on this, like really dynamic centric drum lessons and kind of trying to expand my drumming ability. And when I got playing with Brian and Greg, it was like the perfect marriage because like, that's kind of what they were already doing. And, and why the reason I was so attracted to the band, I was a fan of the band before I joined the band. So, and then when I joined the band, we sort of got, I got deeper into jazz and we were listening to it a lot on tour and, and listening to it a lot when we hung out. And I think it kind of was, uh, you know, kind of an exemplar for some of the music we were writing. Obviously we're kind of rock guys. It's like jazz is a yeah. totally different thing. And we're hardcore dudes. We're hardcore <laughs> yeah. dudes. Yeah, like, you know, I can't, I still can't play jazz. <laughs> yeah, but, me neither. <laughs> but like with the dynamics of it and the feeling of it and the delicacy you know, that was something that I was really attracted to. So did nice. you come from, did you play in hardcore bands before? I was in like a, Brian too, like, yeah, I was in a, my first band was a punk band called Aspirin Feast that I was oh. the original drummer and they, they ended up being kind of a popular band in Seattle. And then I was in a couple uh, bands in my hometown in Washington state. Um, you know, just kind of being active and, very kind of DC influenced kind of bands or bands that were influenced by sub pop bands. Um, you know, so I was like, you know, cutting my teeth and playing gigs and playing in the Northwest. Um, but I really wanted to, I wanted to do something bigger and I wanted to be in a band that toured and I wanted to kind of take my, my musicality into a brighter light. And so when, you know, Greg and Brian offered me the chance to, to kind of audition I, I just kind of jumped at it and it, it was a perfect marriage I think even from the first rehearsal yeah. uh, it was like there was some hair standing up and it was really uh it's one pretty, of those, pretty magical it's, a, it's such a rare moment I mean I've played in, we've all played in so many bands and like you audition people and it's just so awkward yeah. sometimes and you're just like oh god and there's just out you're just you're just hoping for that one chance that like that we had you yeah know? it's like maybe it's, maybe it's gonna be like that maybe it's, it's gonna really, work yeah it's never really <laughs> i don't know i really don't know if i've ever had i guess goat snake the first time we got in the room together was pretty cool like that but um it's rare it's rare and and you don't you know so we were like really lucky i was remembering one of the uh, one of the drummers we had just really interesting one of the drummers we auditioned before auditioned say that uh before was remember um um trying out nikki from fire party oh do you remember that oh that's wild yeah so nikki had moved to um she'd moved to seattle and i started corresponding with her something we were we were i found out she was we, we started trading tapes she was really into this band breadwinner and and it's like, oh, no one really knew about Red Winter in Seattle. It was kind of an obscure band. And we were, I love that band. And, and so we, she gave me a Red Winter tape. And then she's like, I don't know, she said, I'm moving to Seattle, whatever. But we ended up trying her out. But she, it just didn't work. But it's funny. I ran into her, like, she lives in San Francisco. And I ran into her at a sun show. And, and mm -hmm. she's amazing. Um, she's a school teacher now. But, but that was one of the people that we tried out. Besides, I think maybe the only person we tried out besides Jade. And I was so stoked because... 
you know, I don't know, fire party and and and, and, a, and a woman playing drumming and, and 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 she was, you know, she's African American. I was like, this is gonna be amazing. This could be really cool, like different and cool. And um, but she just couldn't cut it. And then I'm glad that we like didn't push it any further. We did because then the next person to show up at uh, that we got was Jade. And um, yeah, it was it was one of those yeah clicked and it was cool. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I would just like to add. Those two aspirin fees, seven inches are awesome. I still own those. I, still I have nothing to do with it, but I agree. I agree. Yeah. I was in the first. Well, then forget everything I said. <laughs> yeah. No, those are, those are, those great. are some lost classics right there. Yeah. 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 I remember um, Rorschach came back from tour. Charles Maggio had a pair of aspirin fees sweatpants. Like he still streamed them. And we were like, those are awesome. So, well, they stayed at, was that your house, Brian, that Rorschach stayed at with – or that was Eric, Aubrey's house, wasn't uh, it? I think Eric's yeah. Because they stayed – was it Born Against Rorschach stayed at the house? And um, anyways, the, yeah. We, yeah, whatever. We, the, the, the punk house that they stayed at was a, pl- a place that – I had a band called uh, Galleon's Lap right before Engine Kid with um, – uh, and then we, we practiced in that room. And I remember that was when they were in town and – Brett Blue was playing bass for Born Against at that point. But anyways, yeah, sidetrack, but yeah. yeah. Sorry. Anyway. But Aspen Feast was amazing. I got to see a few Aspen Feast shows and the singer Mike Fisher and Jade are from the same area of Washington, the Tri-Cities. And he was kind of just a hero and just everyone loved that guy. He was just so... Charismatic jester. And probably punk singer. the most unhinged, truly punk person I ever met mm-hmm. in my life. I mean, the guy was just like, unbelievable but anyways <laughs> greg i had a question for you about lyrics because i'm big on lyrics and the lyrics to windshield are so unique and raw i wanted to know if you remember where you were at when you wrote those lyrics <laughs> in the back of my car <laughs> fuck yes that's what i was hoping you'd say it was real man it was a real time it was like you know i don't know I was probably I probably got too high to drive home or something. And I was at Golden Gardens, which is this uh, kind of, uh, you know, area in Seattle along the water in Ballard, Washington. And I had this real shitty Corvair car that Brian uh, spent some time work, trying to work on and fix over the years. But um, but yeah, I just I literally had fallen asleep uh, in my car and. I woke up because the sun came blasting one of those rare Sundays in uh, days of sun in uh, of Seattle. Normally you would have slept in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally there would be no sun, um, but it came blasting through the windshield and it totally like stung my eyes. I was like, Oh, this is, this is a moment I need to, you know, jot down. So that was it. You know, uh, yeah. it's funny. I wrote the lyrics to, um, I wrote the lyrics to another song on angel wings in that same beach um uh not fan belt um anchor i wrote also like i went <laughs> i remember i was like I, I i felt like i was trying to come up with some lyrics uh we had the, we had a lot of material like i would keep on talking about we had all this material so it's like okay um i gotta put some i gotta come up with some of the stuff i didn't have lyrics for and i was like okay well i gotta come up with some lyrics so because i had had that experience writing windshield i went back another time to that area to see if I could maybe be inspired by something. And, and, and so I ended up writing the lyrics to anchor 
um, while like you know try hiking through the woods of that 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 uh, beach area and kind of being by myself and stuff. So yeah, I don't know if you and Hob talked about it. I think Javier brought it up before he was going to speak to you the first time. But there's a theme of car of car parts for mm. the song titles. So I was going to see if you could, had anything to say about that, how there's windshield, obviously, and then fan jumper belt, cables, jumper cables. Well, the band's called Engine Kid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it's funny because I don't know. I don't know shit about cars. I like them and appreciate them. But I think Brian, you know, Brian has more. He's more of the smarts and, and knows about that stuff. Mechanical. But yeah, he's the mechanical side, but. He was always the van guy, you know, like he would have the van and he would change the oil in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I just think, you know, even from the beginning of naming the band and like the imagery that our first logo was the the Mustang from the Ford, you know, from Ford Mustang. That was our first logo and stuff. And we had a also there was a gear shift on there that was that was used a lot. We used a, a gear shift that was from an old Ford truck. So kind of just this whole romanticism of vehicles and movement and really like, you know, in your early twenties, it's kind of the first time that you sort of, you know, in your late teens too, that you are having connection or a contact with cars, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, and it represented for me in a lot of ways, freedom yeah. and being able to get out. And I think that, you know, get out of whatever situation you were in, you know, whether it's like, oh, I got to get out of my house, my, my, my mom and my, my brother bother me, whatever, you know, or you, I got to get away from my girlfriend. She's driving me crazy. It's like this, it's kind of a, almost a, this thing of freedom. So, and then going on tour, that was another thing. It was like, we have the van, you know, we just get in the van and go, you know, and we're like, we're away from everything and we're enjoying our time together. And that's a freedom thing, you know, in a way. Yeah, and since you kind of briefly mentioned logos and stuff, um, two questions. In the logo for this record, there's a star in the Engine Kid, which wasn't on the split with Iceburn, as far as I know. No, there's not. So did that have to do with the record being on Rev, or was it just like, yeah, here's a new logo, and it happens to have a star? No, we were using the star from the very beginning. Mm. Um, I took the star from a box of Chuck Taylors. Oh, nice. I, I used to exclusively wear Chuck Taylors. That's <laughs> so punk. Cool. Very punk. <laughs> I was like, um, this is cool. And, mm -hmm. and we just took, I think, I think maybe even the lo the letters are cobbled together from the box, uh, the Converse logo. I don't remember exactly. Fucking awesome. But the star is definitely from the Chuck Taylor box. And we just kind of stuck with that from that's, that's, that, that started from the, literally from the first, seven inch that we did and the first logo that we did it, it was just coincidence that you know revelation also had the star of course yeah they it's copied just not you. on the it's just not on the split but split. that's because it was the different well uh, yeah brian yeah. drew that uh -huh. yeah. yeah oh sick that was so the vishnu uh album the uh, birds of fire yeah so yeah it was an homage kind of the painting was to to that to birds of fire so then tying into the car or the automobile reference, I've only ever owned this on cassette and the cassette awesome. uh, cover is the velvet painting of Jesus looking over a semi truck. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
which is Greg, is that oh, so that's the gatefold, the gatefold of the original yeah. 12 inch. Yeah, of the um, yeah, exactly. That was um I I was obsessed with velvet paintings and I had a velvet painting collection. And I think we were probably in had gone to Mexico or something, played probably played San Diego, and then um we had friends there that we would we would go down to Tijuana and hang out with. Um and I think I might have picked that up down there. Uh and I had like, I mean, I had a real for a while I had like a ton of I had a lot of Elvises, you know. Um, and I think somebody like I had a Kurt Cobain at one time. Oh, I, didn't oh. you? Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was talking about starting to do like oh, yeah. grunge <laughs> icons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never happened. I think I had a we Kurt had Cobain? a Kurt Cobain though. Yeah, yeah. Or was it Jesus? Maybe it was a combo, <laughs> you know, it could have been a combo. Well, it's but, funny you um, mentioned that because I have a Greg Anderson velvet painting. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, what's interesting, too, is the cassette artwork. You know, it's got the, the uh, again, this kind of looks like a Mahavishnu Orchestra painting in the middle. But the, the cover art of the CD and the 12-inch is not featured anywhere on the cassette version, the actual angel. And so... You know, we were talking before we recorded how interesting it is that all of the, and this is true of the Iceburn split too, like all of the the different medias kind of had a little bit of different artwork going on. And, and we really, we noticed it and, and appreciated it. So I think that insert that you use in your cassette is not in the vinyl at all either. The, uh, the, yeah. the yeah. goddess here. I don't know about the CD. I think it's on the, on the label. Isn't it on the label of uh, one of the one of the vinyls? Maybe it is. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that yeah. was. No. no. And then there's the Dante's kind of like the Dante's Inferno type artwork here for the the liner yeah. notes. Uh, Gustave Doré. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which we use for the cover of the reissue. Mm -hmm. um, so the so the box reissue cover is the uh, Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, Gustav Dore painting. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, whatever happened to this velvet painting of Jesus and the the uh, semi? Who's got know. it now? I, I I thought that it maybe survived my my move from Seattle to Los Angeles, but I'm I unfortunately I don't know. It's funny. I do have I did find a couple Elvises in my garage. Uh, recently, so my kids were like, "What is this?" You know, explained <laughs> <laughs> it to them. You know, like, um, so. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, unfortunately, I don't know where that is. I wish I did. Uh, as a fan of T-shirts, I think you should do a reprint of the of that. Oh, There's yeah. the Jesus shirt, yeah. and then it had the cover on the back. Yeah. Yes, was that the one you showed? The long sleeve. I did there's a long that. sleeve that looks sick, yeah. but uh, there's a short sleeve version yeah, also. Did some of those before. Um, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. They look great. Yeah, who did, come on. Yeah, who who did the the artwork on the front then? The angel. That was clip art. Was it clip art? Yeah. Nice. It was funny. We came. We drove from Seattle down to um, Huntington to hang out with Jordan and do the layout. Yeah. We would sit at the office and Jordan would do the layout and. Um, Sometimes we'd have to nudge him because he fell asleep. <laughs> uh, but we were there for long, long hours. And it was like back in the days where it's like, I mean, this is primitive computer yeah. you know, and technology back then. And, and, you know, what you had to work with. 
But um, I think, you know, I think at the time we wanted to come up with something that kind of looked like, in fact, I remember I had like this really cool coffee table book of Blue Note, uh, Blue Note record covers, Mm -hmm. jazz record covers. Uh And we brought that as kind of like inspiration um, to work off of. This one? We wanted to create something that kind of looked like a Blue Note record. Wow. Oh, Tony's got it in his hand. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. This buddy of mine gave for a for a, a birthday gift. A friend of mine, Bill Herzog, who plays on uh, the Coltrane cover. Bill, he gave that to me as a gift, and and we 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 um we brought that down as like inspiration, and <laughs> gave it to Jordan. It was like this is what we would kind of like to look like, and he's like, oh, okay. And then like so we just cobbled together, you know, basically the cover. I mean, we must have spent. God, we must have spent two days working on the cover, which today would have taken like probably like two hours, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or less. Um, it's not really that complex, but it was cool. It was, it was, and it, you know, and it was just a really good time to hang out. You know, Jordan was always fun to hang out with and, and really supportive. And I think I want to say Beth, the hickey was there too, yeah. I think as well. Oh, our, nice. Our friend Beth, who I actually ended up moving to Seattle and I actually ended up living in a house with her for a while. We became really good friends, and um, and she did that book that she yeah. We wanted before. to we want to talk to her. I would love to talk to her about the book, but I don't know if she talks about that stuff anymore. Yeah, but I, well, she's great. Um, I, I it's like through Jordan, I've kind of um had like a little bit. I think I maybe even had this email exchange with her, but um, she got in early on the whole Amazon thing and like did really well for herself. So she was like one of the first. I think one of the first Amazon employees. Wow. That's when it started. And she got in really early on that. And then uh, as far as I know, I think, she, I think she might be retired on, on, on like this Island in, in on Orcas or something like that oh, yeah. in Washington. But um, she's got, <laughs> wow. kids. She's, got she's got kids and stuff. And um, she was just such a great person and a great, I mean, you know, uh, again, it was like, for us some revelation like it was just you know it was kind of comfortable and they were nice and mellow you know and and she was one of the people that was like uh, you know was exemplified that she was just so chill and cool to be around and we but we all came from the same background you know and um it was it was it was fun you know it was nice so i wanted to ask um you know you mentioned uh grunge and all that earlier and i'm looking it was recorded at bad animal studio and uh you know i'm looking at you know it's owned by the the wilson sisters right at yeah, that time yeah, from yeah. art uh and you know Soundgarden, super unknown uh yep. vitology pearl jam like allison chains like all that the, that type of stuff uh recorded there um and then you worked with it says uh john john goodmanson but he also did the prior stuff, not bear catching fish. I know was Steve Albini. He yeah. did the split stuff, right? The ice burn split. Uh, yeah, he did. He did. Did he do the split? Uh, he, he and Stewart, I think. Didn't, or was it Phil? Or was it Phil Eck that did oh, the Phil Eck? Oh, yeah. I think it was John Goodmanson did the, the split recording. Okay, because we did it at Stu, Stu and how, uh, John Stu. John Stu's, Stu's yeah. recording, which was the old reciprocal, old though. reciprocal, yeah. Where, yeah. where Bleach was recorded and some Mud Honey stuff. Yeah, so John basically became an owner of that 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 studio reciprocal, which all the early sub pop was done at Mud. Right, Honey. Jack and Dino there. And yeah, all Jack that. and Dino was working there, so they he took over that studio 
um, with this guy, Stuart Hallerman, who Stuart Hallerman was a guy that I had a lot of history with. He recorded the first Engine Kids 7-inch, and he had a studio called Avast Studios that Engine Kid did a ton of stuff. Uh, we did some of the some of the tracking for that or the recording of that and mixing of that there. And man, I even, I even did sun stuff there. Like the guy uh, was an amazing studio, but, um, um, but John Goodmanson also did the astronaut EP and that's where we first met him. That was that was when we did the astronaut EP and, and he was just really great to work with. Like he didn't, you know, it was, it was, it was an interesting uh, pairing because he didn't really know, or wasn't really interested in heavy music so much, but he just really had a great way of capturing things in a way that was like, they sounded really good and powerful, like very clean sort of style of doing things. I want to say we were like some of his earliest hard rocks stuff that he'd ever done. Yeah. Cause he went on to do, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting space. He did like blonde redhead. He did like a couple blonde redhead records. What was the big Seattle band he did? Was it the shins or something like that? Or like, looks like the Spinanes. Yeah. It says the Spinanes. I think on Discogs it said built to spill and the shins. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But he, there's something else really big that I'm spacing on that he did, but he's not really known for like kind of heavy music. Sleater Kenny. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he's not really known. It's funny, but I, it's funny because John, he was a guitar player of a band called Danger Mouse from Olympia that I really liked. They were kind of like this sort of punk, more rock band that um, that had uh, the bass player was Donna Dresch, who was from Team Dresch and okay. uh, played in Screaming Trees. Uh, they were a cool Olympia band. And then, you know, he ended up recording bands in Olympia, did really well, you know, starting to get a name for himself. So then he moved to Seattle and kind of the height of when Seattle was happening in the early 90s and and he, um, uh, so I already knew who he was and, and he was suggested to us and we were kind of like, okay, cool. Let's, uh, let's try this guy. And that astronaut EP, I thought it was, I thought it was a good experience working yeah. on it. You know, I listen to it now and it's like, there's a lot of things about it that uh, a little cringeworthy in some of the things, but, but, and I think the production might be a little too clean, but I think on angel wings, like, I'm glad that we had done some stuff with him, like the split and everything, because I feel like he sort of more got what we were going for or what we were about rather um with the angel wings material and i i'm I'm happy with what we you know the recording of that i think that he i think it's a very i think it's a proper document for where the band was at the time you know yeah i think it sounds really good and and, um i think jade had mentioned too with dynamics like Mm -hmm. i feel like it really captures like the really quiet parts but also the really bombastic you know, loud parts, like it has a great recording. Yeah. 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 He really, like I said, I feel like after working together a few times, he kind of got like, okay, now I get what these guys are, are trying to do. Whereas like on even, you know, on the astronaut EP, I feel like kind of missed the mark a little bit with it. It's like he, you know, and we didn't really have a lot of time. It was kind of like, we were just like, we had a very small amount of money at the time. And then, and then the, the split material was a little different. It was like, we were kind of veering off into this like hard left turn of like homage to jazz. You know, we were like, you know, it's like, okay, we've got to split with this with ice burn. So it's not going to be like, at least in my mind, it was like, we're not going to do what, 
what our other songs are about. I think I feel like we kind of wrote those songs to for for the splits yeah. split record. It, was, it wasn't like we just like oh we just got these songs that we can just peel off to this record. It was like oh we we're doing the split with Iceburn and we're both really into jazz. There's a common ground there, so we're gonna we're gonna the music we're gonna make is gonna be in that vein. Whereas I feel like with the Angel Wings, it was a, you know it was it was a different direction in some ways. Had those influences, but it was way more focused on on in another direction. Um, but anyways, I think John was able to capture that properly, um, and it was cool. You know, we had for the first time ever, we kind of had a budget too to work with that um, we could kind of stretch out and not have to you know look at the clock all the time for what we were doing, which for us at that time was, was, was really a good thing because we had so much material and we were very ambitious. So and like, some of the songs were long and were complex and we needed the time to like get the right take, for example, yeah, like it's yeah. a seven minute song with like intense dynamics. It's like, it's not like a three minute pop song. It's like four on the floor, you know, it's like, yeah. it was nice to have that space. And John was great. He was so great to work with. Like he, um, I don't know. He was kind of just like a had a very open energy, and he, and he got what we were doing. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. I mean, it it uh, it's probably good too that you guys were such a well-oiled machine when you went in with you know six days a week practicing and a couple hours, and then to still have that amount of time in the studio. It's got yeah. a, it's awesome, you know, as a band. I'm sure because it's like you know your shit, but now you can really like perfect it and hone everything to make yeah, sure totally, that it's totally. the best representation. So I wanted to ask Greg mentioned uh, earlier about that song, angel dust, which is now on the vinyl uh, for the box, the box set it's on the, it's yeah. on the album, but I wanted to talk about the track listing because the, the vinyl's different from the cassette and CD, like the, um, the cassette and CD and even on the streaming opens with windshield and then sort of keeps the same order, but not really. Was that, is the vinyl different because of like timing because of trying to separate it or why is it different? I don't remember. I I mean, I I know there was some discussion and debate about what song we were going to start with. And I think you wanted to start with holes and I don't remember, but I don't remember at all. I, I think the reason they're different is because we kind of had this in this vision that it would make it so that you would maybe would want to purchase all three different versions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a marketing ploy. It's a total marketing <laughs> ploy from a band that had no clue about that at all, <laughs> uh, but and didn't care about that. But um, yeah, I can't remember. I, I, I kind of. I think it did have something to do with the lengths of the songs. Like there was some sort of math equation with like, okay, we can't stack these four songs that are on the CD because it's not enough on side A of the vinyl. And then we decided to to, to scrap the whole thing and like, you know, have a whole new track listing, I think is what we decided. Well, I just remember there was like, what are we going to have as the first song? And I remember there was like this debate of like, do we have a banger on there that's really long and heavy or do we kind of have something that's going to invite people in and has like a pop hook yeah. you know 
And I remember, I don't know, I just remember well, there was some like debate about that. And I know John Goodmanson had a lot to do. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. He, yeah, 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 that makes sense. He, I mean, he was like, well, you know, he might sell more records. If he might. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we were like, at the time, was like, well, this guy would know, you know, he's got his name on, you know, he's done these really popular records, but. Right. I don't, you know, and which it's, you know, it's funny. It's like, we weren't really that kind of band that really cared about that. But I guess we kind of, you know, there's definitely part of us, I think, that did care about that. And, you know, we wanted, we were hoping people were into it, you know. Um, yeah, right. We struggled for a long time as that band where we played to no one and no one really cared, you know. And um, it took a while. And I feel like really like sort of when people started to take notice and be into the band was right when basically when we broke up. But because, you know, it took like a, a couple tours for well, several tours for us to like start having people actually come to the shows. Um, I mean, back in that time too, there was so much music, you know, uh, at the time there were so many bands going out and, um, and I feel like we were also not sort of doing something that was exactly like um, something you could get into right away. It took, a, I think it took a, we were a grower, not a shower. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, that's the best music, though, is stuff where oh, you, it kind of has to seep, you know, seep in. And um, so, in other words, though, as far as the track listing, there's no definitive. Like, you're not like, you know, some artists will say, "Well, the definitive way we wanted it was this oh, way and this no, other way." I, not really, man. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's so many songs on that thing, and it kind of goes in a few different directions. I mean, we, we, I definitely, we definitely um, discussed this new version, the reissue version quite mm-hmm. a, a, a little bit. And I think that to me, like now in my, with my brain now, like that makes sense to me, but yeah, I don't know at the time. I uh, think that, I think windshield at the time to us was a little bit of an outlier because it was a little, had more of a pop sort of thing to it where all the rest of the songs were kind of bangers and like they were a little bit avant-garde or maybe had longer running time. So I think at the time we had discussed like, well, we'll just put it first and then like, then here's this like really <laughs> beautiful tune and then we're going to smash you with a hammer for like 40 minutes. Right. And that's the theory. It's like, let's get them in the door, yeah. you know, like let's lure them in with this, this prettiness. Yeah. And then the old bait and switch. switch. I'm yeah. rushing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With yeah. the kick song, and then yeah. go right into that. Yeah. Well, the, they're also on the vinyl. There's a song called a Quinn Martin production that is not on. Uh, what's the story with that? Uh, I was that- really into like those '70s cop TV shows, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. That Quinn Martin production was like seven. Oh, I, I'm. Starsky and Hutch and uh, Streets of San Francisco. Streets of San Francisco was a Quinn Martin production. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were really into those, and I love the music in those too. Yeah. But uh, I just just a goofy, you know, a funny name, kind of almost an inside joke. We we all like watching those TV shows, so that was kind of what that was about. Um, but see, it is cool, I think, to have. Then there is a kind of a reason to have the different versions, and you can, you know, it's sort of fun. I think. Yeah, because um, Quinn was uh, Quinn was um, uh, that was vinyl only. Yeah. Yeah. That was, song was actually not recorded during uh, the Angel Wing session. That was recorded during, um, we had this really bizarre opportunity to record a Tom Petty cover for a Tom Petty tribute album that came out on a major label uh, called Scotty Brothers. And um, Weird Al's label. 
Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is it? I also yeah. John, John Cougar. Yeah. John uh, Cougar. Tiger. That was on Scotty Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and John Cougar. That was his first label, I believe, too. Before he before he became Mellencamp. But um, yeah, we had this opportunity. Our booking agent was was got got a, uh, asked to curate this Tom Petty tribute album. So we recorded a song with that, which was really fun. We had a blast with it. Jade actually sang on the track. Um, we did this, uh, the Petty song, uh, breakdown. And, oh, then, nice. and so, you know, we're in the studio and we're like, uh, that was with Stuart Hallerman at Avast. And we were like, um, had some extra time. So we're like, let's record something else. You yeah. Know? Let's rip this so, one. Let's yeah. rip this one. So we had this like this really short instrumental that we loved. And so, um, in a, in a, in a really low tuning. So we decided to do that. And that was that. So then nice. we had, so we had that laying around, um, and, was like okay well here's an excuse for somebody like we'll, we'll give somebody incentive to buy the vinyl so we'll include this bonus track that's not available on the on the cd um and i is it on the cassette i, I don't know you have quinn martin production no that's no. not on the cassette yeah because i think that follows the cd uh the cd oh, okay. track list too it's funny too you mentioned um i was thinking about windshield and how you said it's the outlier because for a lot of people like myself, that was my, the first time I heard engine kid was on the in flight program yeah. CD sampler, yeah. which, you know, that, that thing got around. It did. Um, yeah. yeah it did. It's funny how many people it's dude. It's so true. It's like so many people are like, Oh yeah. Engine kid, where'd you guys on that comp, that rev comp? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We did a lot of other stuff too, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was the video shoot for that song? What can you do? What do you remember from that? Well, we did. So I, I was going to art school and I had this uh, video art teacher that okay. had done a lot of really cool stuff. So we got with him and um, he basically came to like five shows with a couple of his students and shot a bunch of live stuff. So you'll see like, I think a combination of maybe two or three live shows. Mm -hmm. in that video. And then I don't, I don't know if we all went out to, we went out to the Golden Gardens where Greg had, the had the vision. <laughs> yes. And that's where we shot shot some of the train footage. Oh, yeah. Um, Which is Anchor was written right by those train tracks. Yeah. And it was the reference to the train tracks in that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. And, and so, I think the girl in the video was, was his daughter-in-law or something. Yeah, was that Randall? Yeah. Was his name Randall? No. Uh, Brian Campbell? Uh, oh, Campbell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I forget his first name. Uh, Robert Camp Campbell. Rob, yeah. Robert, Robert Campbell. Campbell yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Was, it's cool. Then. Professor of uh, videology or whatever. Yeah, Cornish video art. Yeah. Is that yeah. Cornish? Yeah, that's where I. Yeah. Hey, look at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cornish, <laughs> baby. Cornish. Tag it's cool to know that that's the exact spot where you had that vision there. But uh, you talked about anchor. That was my other question. Was can you tell us about recording the bagpipes at the start of that song? Oh yeah. So um, I went to school in North Seattle um, in a suburb called uh, Shoreline. And the high school I went to was called Shorecrest. And um, there was the, the mascot for our school was a Highland Piper. So we were the, we were the Shorecrest Pipers, um, which is really strange. So they had a whole bagpipe program at my high school. Um, I didn't do it. <laughs> I, took guitar, I took guitar there, though. And that guitar class, the Mr. Bamey, the guitar teacher, kind of, it's kind of famous. Well, famous. Uh, 
his, his infamous, his class. Um, I took it and that's where I learned to play guitar. And then like right before me or a couple years, uh, after me rather, uh, Mark Holcomb from undertow and okay. Shift, he was in, he was a, a student of his and also Stephen O'Malley, who I play in with son was also went to that high school. And so Stephen O'Malley, um, played bagpipes. He took the bagpipes class at Shorecrest high school and, um, he wasn't very good, but there was a guy named Kevin Ald. Uh, th- there was a guy named Kevin Ald that was like, actually did something with the skill and like went on and did like competitions or played okay. in other, other things. He would travel internationally to play bagpipes. And, um, I don't know how the hell we decided to have bagpipes on our record. We needed an intro. We needed an intro. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, we're like, okay, let's have bagpipes. And then I think either Stephen, maybe Stephen O'Malley mentioned it like, Hey, you know, Kevin Ald is great. And he's, he's a fan of this music too. Yeah. He'll, he'll understand what's going on. So, um, so we, we hit up Kevin to do a, uh, to do it. And he came down to Avast studios uh, where we were tracking at the time and knocked it out. And it was, uh, it was cool. It was really yeah. cool. Did you ever play it live? With the bagpipes? No, yeah, okay. no, no. Never too late. Yeah. It's never too late. No. no. Yeah. That was cool though. It, it, that's kind of one of those things where it's like uh, that record to me, like I was, I was listening to it recently and it's like, ah, it's kind of like, we just gave everything we possibly had. It was everything and the kitchen sink. You know what I mean? Like every kind of every idea we had, it was cool. We didn't have any, there was no boundaries, you know? Yeah. And it was like, let's just do it all. And this is what we're, this is what where we're at right now. And we're going to, we're going to do it all. It was kind of like, I feel like at that time too, it was like the, probably the most amount of money that any of us had had to work with in a studio. And, you know, we were recording at bad animals. It was like a big deal. So it was like, we were just going to give it everything we possibly had because who knows what the hell is going to happen next, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask too, you mentioned playing live and you guys toured a lot. Your contemporary. So I was trying to think of your contemporaries. We obviously know Iceburn. Um, who else would you say like around this time, like who were you touring with? Who would you have considered like your kindred spirits Your you know? Uh, oh Yeah. Silkworm was a band from Seattle that was also on CZ Records, and then they ended up being on um, Touch and Go and Matador Records. But they were kind of our brother band. Like, they were a band that we were super close friends with. And even though our music, they weren't, they weren't kind of, he- they weren't a very heavy band, but they were, they had like this real kind of, like kind of dark, kind of dark pop really. Um, but they were, um, we were into a lot of, they they were the people that turned me on to Casper Bratzman and, uh, and a lot of like the kind of like the later era, Miles Davis, like they, the guy, the bass player, Tim, he had all these, he worked at a really cool record store in Seattle called Park Avenue. So he would, he had a, access to a lot of really cool music and um, he turned, he turned us on to a lot of cool stuff. And, <coughs> We were sort of we were sort of the outcasts of Seattle, you know. There's there a lot of bands that were trying to make it, you know, and trying to be, you know, signed to a major label and playing sort of a, you know, a, what, the music that was popular at the time, which was grunge, you know. And there wasn't a lot of bands that were doing anything really different. 
um, that was kind of the music that was being made in Seattle. I mean, there was some exceptions, of course, but so we were, there was one of the bands that we kind of connected to. They weren't, they weren't, it wasn't a grunge band either. And then we had, we were really into a lot of the same kind of music. So we, and we, and we, and we'd done some time together at CZ. So we ended up touring with them a lot, did a lot of touring together. And when we worked touring together, we were hanging out and partying in Seattle together and, and um, playing shows in Seattle together. So they were, they were kind of like our big brothers in a lot of ways. And it was cool to have something, uh, a connection with somebody, with another band like that. Um, yeah, Iceburn, of course. Um, Citizens. Yeah, there's a band called, another band, Seattle band called Citizens Utilities. The guy that, um, this guy, Bill Herzog, I mentioned that played on the Coltrane track. He was in that band. And uh, a friend of Jade's from the Tri-Cities was in that band. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was a little bit, it was a little bit of us against the world type of a situation, you know, because uh, what we were doing was, you know, to us, it's pretty unique. And a lot of the audiences like were kind of puzzled uh, sometimes that, during that. And so it kind of felt like, it, it, which is to me, it's like such an amazing thing to, to be in that position. I, I, I love that position, even though it's not, necessarily successful it's also just such an empowering feeling mm -hmm. that you're yeah. doing this and you're doing it you don't care yeah if if it's not and that was that was kind of the, the real interesting thing about being on revelation it's like you know we'd show up at these places and be like oh man a revelation band great i love gorilla biscuits like they ain't gonna like this man <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, it's like you know like yeah we have those records in our collection and we like that music but that's not what we're playing today man yeah. you know it's like so there's a lot of you know and that was the same thing with iceburn of course and really into another really if you want to go there and and um uh so we we, we met we, we were we met a lot of that on on the road it was like oh boy which was kind of like you know revelation there was some great parts about being a revelation and i really have a lot of respect for jordan and and kind of being brave with the direction he was taken, but it was kind of the curse of revelation as well, where you were sort of, it was like a stigma, you know, like you were like, okay, well you're on revelation. You must, you know, you must be into in sound like uh, you know, judge and youth of today and gorilla biscuits. And, and um, we all grew up on that stuff, but our whole thing was shedding that and, and, and going into a different direction. Um, musically lyrically everything you know the whole thing was about spiritually even too going into this whole different direction of music um than that was so it was kind of weird being on that label that was like you know and and like i said like you you you'd show up in uh you know you show up in nebraska or something and it's like people are just like Tch. X's on their hand and sweatshirts and they're ready to roll, you know, they're ready to pit. It's like, we come on and it's like, what is this? You know, like this is, this isn't, you know, this isn't break down the walls, you know, this is, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah. It was, it was, the beauty of the pre-internet world too. Cause like totally. you figure now someone could be like, Oh, new band on Rev. Let me check it out. Okay. Yeah. Now I know what this sounds like. So it's kind yeah. of exciting and, you know, I agree, like some of my favorite bands are the ones that were really doing something that wasn't popular at the time and different. And like, you know, I think we like most people like to kind of root for for the underdog almost like and see, you know, instead of someone just maybe riding the wave, like it's always more admirable to see somebody that's kind of 
charting new territory. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think too, for us, like at that time of our lives, our early twenties, we were, it was a time of discovery. You're discovering drugs, you're discovering relationships, you're discovering music, you're discovering art, you're discovering all, you're just, you're travel, you're travel, yeah. you're, you're discovering who you are as a person. So um, it made sense to us at the time, you know, and, but, you know, a lot of these audiences, um, you know, uh, maybe were sometimes younger, younger kids that had just, just gotten into hardcore and they, hardcore they had just gotten into was Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits and, and so it was like kind of this weird thing at, at times, but um, I think that everyone eventually, a lot, well, most people eventually, it's like they, they're in, they're, they go through this discovery phase as well and they're discovering stuff. So, I mean, that was really what, to me, in a nutshell, what Engine Kid was about was discovery and, you know, learning different things about life and the world and what it had to offer, you know? Yeah, like it's, I mean, think even just the fact that this record's what, like 25, 26 years old, people are still talking about it. Like for, for you guys, I was even just thinking like, you know, specific, ugh, specifically, you know, Greg, um, you figure like you went on, you have Southern Lord, you've got Goat Snake, Sun. Do people still talk to you about Engine Kid like that you wouldn't expect? Like people, at, you know, Sun gigs, like, oh man, I loved Engine Kid. Uh, a little bit, you know, I mean, honestly, part of the reason for, for me to be sort of on this mission to reissue this stuff and present it now through Southern Lord was so that it doesn't get forgotten because it was a really important band to me that really sort of informed and was the foundation of so much stuff I did beyond that, you know, um, kind of more than anything I've ever done, you know, or anything before that. I mean, you know, Brotherhood, um, well, before that, False Liberty, band, uh, punk band, uh, hardcore band I was in, then Brotherhood, and then Guyan's Lap. And those bands, um, they're important, of course, in my life, but Injun Kid was kind of the first band where I really sort of stepped out of the boundaries of where I was and and and, and just tried to create something that was truly mine or ours and 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 so that that was really important part of my life and realizing that first of all that you you can do that just the action of doing that was important and it carried on through the rest of my life so yeah i i, I really don't honestly i don't get hit up a, a lot about engine kid it's like really it's more about like brotherhood is, is one that was like a lot of people bring up and i think a lot of times because it's that people are surprised that i was in brotherhood because my life and who I am and what I do is so different from that time period. But, you know, I was, I was 18 years old when I did that, you know? So, but, but engine kid, that's the thing. I, I didn't want it to be forgotten. And I feel like um, it was important to, and also like the, the fact that we're, that we're all still alive and really close friends still is like, okay, this is a reason to celebrate this band and yeah. what we did and and it's cool because a lot of people now that hear it, I think that maybe weren't familiar with it, that know some of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, they're like, oh, this makes sense to me. Like, yeah, I can see what, okay, this is, and this kind of, to me, it was like really sort of the first kind of foray into heavy music and embracing things like, you know, Slayer and Celtic Frost and Metallica, you know, and things like that. Like that was kind of, we were embracing that as well in our sound and, 
that makes sense to people now when they hear the bands that I'm involved with or, or the music that they're into now. I mean, there's a bands that, you know, there's some bands that were influenced by engine kid. It's pretty amazing. And it's like, wow. Okay. People and people are like, Oh, this is, you know, this is now I can see where this sound comes from. You know, it's really, so I, I just kind of wanted to bring light to that. Like, Oh, Hey, this, this is something that happened that I was involved in. And, and I, I'd like people to be able to hear it, you know, have a, have a, have another life with it or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, it, like, I think it clearly, you can see when listening to this, it definitely makes sense where you went mm. after like, if, like even like, you know, my, my first, um, you know, obviously was brotherhood. Um, and then hearing this and then knowing about goat snake and son, but like this, this is like the, the missing piece that kind of connects, I think both sides of, of that, of that coin. And, um, it's cool. The box set, like I might've mentioned it in the last episode, but it's super cool for people. You know, I, I've told people to check it out. Like I love the book inside and you guys, uh, doing the, the slint homage and the, uh, yeah, the water. <laughs> that, that was from our first, I think our first tour. Yeah. That was the original drummer, Chris. Um, yeah. I mean, we should definitely talk about slint. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, they were really important. I mean, that, when I first heard Slint, it was kind of like, um, this kind of light switch went off. It was like, I'd never heard anything like it. That was, it was super unique and powerful and kind of heavy in its own way. And that's what really informed a lot of the early engine kid stuff. And, and we definitely, you know, for a long, I think for the first, you know, seven inch EP in the first album, was really obvious we were wearing our influence on our sleeve but with angel wings it was about okay we've done that now let's go somewhere else let's take it further let's you know i feel like we we really sort of like you know we were a butterfly and we were climbing out of the cocoon yeah, and really. you know, like we're ready to fly now with this uh on our own, on our own terms and on our own, with our own sound, you know, but right. we were always, that was always really the, the power and the dynamics of that band is, was always important. And still, I mean, it's still one of my favorite records of all time. I, I love that, that album, but um, Angel Wings, like that's another reason it's important to me personally is because I feel like for so for, for the early part of Engine Kid's life, we were living under this shadow of like, this is a slint clone. They're one of those slint clones that's coming out. Slint yeah, yeah. There was only a few of them, but there was, we were, you know, everyone's like, oh, they just sound like slint, you know? And, and so with, it was important for us. And I think starting with the, the split with Iceburn, like to kind of go into a different direction and like, and, and sort of shed that, that, that uh, stigma with, of being a slint clone. Yeah. And I, I, I think the other thing is that, yeah, there were a lot of bands that were like biting off slint at that point, but you guys actually had figured out like the, the code or something like the dynamics and everything where, you know, at the point where there was like 90 million slint clones, all it was, you know, somebody plucking open strings for five minutes <laughs> and then two minutes would be dun, 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 and that's the end. Yeah. Like there was nothing yeah, there's no dynamics to it. It was just like they heard Spiderland. 
oh, I, I have this figured out. And that was it. But uh, yeah, when you guys were doing that, you had figured that out and then brought all those elements into Angel Wings all, along with all the other stuff that we've been talking about, you know, especially Mahavishnu Orchestra. Definitely. Well, I, think there, I think there was some serious growth that, that happened. And, and like I said, I attribute a lot of that to, to, to Jade joining, joining the band and, and just like the power that he brought to the group to like it really – I think it, it leveled us up, you know. I think like, we maybe the band had some really great dynamics on the first couple of releases, and then I think we just added a few more layers. You yeah, know? like well, we're we're able to add dynamics. You, you know, increase the bandwidth. Yeah, the bandwidth. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. We still can be really delicate, which is what was so beautiful and so influential about Slint. It's like there's something really cathartic and tranquil about playing out of whisper. And like Slint was sort of that, they were the teachers for us about, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, that was like teachers. Yeah. And that was a blueprint that we never got away from really, even on jumper cables, there's really delicate sections and windshield and stitches, um, stitches, stitches. you know, I mean, stitches was a song. I remember we played live and we were like, we were very like well-oiled machine on tour. And it was like, to me, there was two different phases of engine kid times when we would play at a whisper and you could still hear, you know, beers clinking at the yeah. bar. And then other times where we would actually could bring the crowd to silence. And, and Stitches was a great song like that. We would play and the outro kind of shifts slowly and slowly down to nothing. Mm -hmm. And I remember we would come at the end of that song and it would just be like a whisper in the wow. crowd. And that to me was like some of the best feedback we ever got live. Yeah. Because it's like people were like, they were going with us into this silence. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the dynamics... We're always important. Did people cry when you played that song live? <laughs> I did. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I would, I would get, I, get I would get into the emotion. Yeah, yeah. Of that. I would Dude, have, yes. Yeah. I don't know, man. You know, maybe near the end there was when we, when actually people would like start coming to shows. It might be. I don't know if I remember anything to say that, but yeah, it was pretty. There was some pretty heavy uh, emotional. There was a heavy emotional element to that record for sure. I mean, that record, that song was written. Um, I was really super close to my great aunt and I lived with her for a while. And, um, and then um, she kind of took care of me after I got out of high school. Cause I had, a, I was at odds with my parents and she was just such a, she was an incredible woman and, um, uh, and she passed away. So that song was written for her and, um, so there was, you know, there was, a, there was a few moments on that record that were pretty heavy and emo, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and, you know, windshield in a way. And, um, dude, Lies Like Knives. I mean, that song, I, I love that song to death. It's like, I listen to it now and I'm like, fuck, that was a killer song. But it's hard for me to listen to because what it brings up in me and like playing it too was just like man i i definitely cried during that song playing live yeah. you know, it's like it's this nasty just gnarly beast but it, it just like it, it was kind of like it was just such a release for me of everything anything that was going on with me at the time whatever it was like fighting with a girlfriend you know like getting in a fight you know whatever like something whatever it was it was like it all came to a head in that song to me and it was always kind of like it's the last song on the record um, besides Olay, uh, but, um, 
and was kind of like it was a set closer yeah oh my because because yeah, we so would <laughs> a lot of time the end of that song we would literally rip the strings off of our guitars and throw our instruments on the ground and storm off storm out of the place and jamie break, break drum heads <laughs> yeah. and you know yeah it was it was a catharsis yeah it was like this pretty like aggressive emotional um thing that we would do so um yeah i i definitely had some tears during that yeah song. i don't know about the audience so it's like i feel like you know it's kind of the one thing about ancient kid a little bit of the regret i had is that i feel like right when we were kind of starting to make way and getting and connecting with people and people were starting to come to our shows that's when it stopped, you know, and, and in some ways that's pretty cool. Like, cause that's punk rock. That's punk. And, and, and a lot of bands don't know when to stop. Yeah. I, and I, and I, so I'm like, well, we do, we knew when to stop, whether we knew it or not. Um, but yeah, when I think we were right at kind of the brink of maybe, I think if we would have made another record and kept doing what we were doing and re- I think we would have been, we would have been connect. We could have, would have connected with a lot more people, but um, it is what it is, you know, it's what, that's what happened. And so, yeah, on the band camp it says the kid flew too close to the sun and broke up shortly after this album's release. So how long was it after this record came out that you decided to... Man. Well, we did a tour. Was the record out? I think the record came out in March. Of okay. Which originally I think was supposed to come out in the fall of 94. Yeah, it was really delayed. Oh, wow. And I don't remember why it was delayed. Um you know, back in those days, too, it was this weird thing where it's like you finish this album, you put all this heart and soul and sweat and blood and tears into something, and you just hand it over, basically, to somebody, and you don't have a ton of input about what's going on, when it's coming out. You don't even know. I mean, we had no clue about marketing, about release strategy, about who was going to be the distributor, who was going to be the press person. Like, we didn't know any of that stuff. It was just like, okay, well, we just kind of like put all our trust into Revelation. Like, they know what they're doing. Um, of course, it was a much different game back then, too, than it is now. It's much more developed, and um, there's been a precedence now for labels and businesses to follow. But we didn't really know. And I just remember, for some reason, it was totally delayed. Yeah. And, like, at that time in our lives, too, like, there was just so much momentum happening and things were going so quickly that by the time the record came out, we were sort of over. We were done, and we were – I don't remember. We were either on to something else Didn't or – Didn't we do a Casper tour, like, with the record? We did a tour with Casper Brotsman, but it was before the record was came it? out, I think, yeah. I thought we did some, some tour. Yeah, I think Casper was March of 95, and the record must have come out, like, right after that tour. Because I remember we had – there was a little bit of sort of, like, uh, this sucks, you know – because we want the record to come out in the fall of 94. Like we wanted it like four or six months after we recorded it. And then yeah. I think we kind of felt like there was a dropping of the ball a little bit, you know, just because we wanted, we were so aggressive and we were so, we were just recording and writing all the time. We were in it and we wanted that record to be out there so we could, that's out. And now we're on to the next record. And, and to have to wait for that, I, I felt like it was yeah. sort of like a, like a 12 month pregnancy or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally. like, come on, baby. Come absolutely. Out absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know why, and I don't know why that happened. And, and Jordan would probably know, or maybe not remember. I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't remember. I don't remember if there was any definitive answer. It was just kind of like, yeah. it just took a long time or, or where it was yeah. at in the rev pipeline or, yeah. or something. Like well, I know that, that he yeah. didn't have, I mean, at that time period, they weren't doing a ton of releases. It was just a couple releases a year. 
I thought. And so I don't know if it was, I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't remember, but by the time it came out, we were sort of, we had done so much touring without the record. And I think it's the classic story. I think the touring bur- burned us out. I think we were tired of, you know, we were kind of like, we needed a break from each other, you know, you know, when you're, when you're confined in a van with somebody for months at a time and that's your life, you need to have a break. Otherwise it's just, it's just not healthy, you know? And, but in your twenties, you don't know that (laughs) you have no clue. You're just like, this is cool. Let's just do it. And then you're like, why am I, why do I hate these guys now? Like, why do I not, you know, what's, what's the deal here? Why am I feeling this way? Well, it's like, dude, you've been stuck in a van and your whole life is just with these, these people over and you're relying on each other and you're, you're living through and conditions that are primitive, extreme, <laughs> extreme, <Yeah>. extreme. <laughs> broken down vans and, and, you know, cat piss floors and uh, playing in front of, you know, no, no people and playing for promoters that, you know, pull out a gun when you ask them where the cash is and throw for the show. beer bottles at your head. You throw, yeah, promoters throwing beer bottles at your head. So, you know, we just, we just didn't understand that because we didn't, we hadn't lived that. And, and I think that, yeah, we just needed a break. So it was kind of unfortunate that we really didn't get to sort of realize the potential of the album because by the time it came out, we were burned. We were yeah. Kind of burned out. And you guys had another seven inch that was released anyway, chronologically after uh, Angel Wings on Trouble Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how was the recording of those? It's just two songs, right? Yeah. So I, I don't remember exact circumstances, but those were new songs that we were working on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike Simonetti from Trouble Man Records was somebody that was like a huge supporter of Southern, of, sorry, of uh, Engine Kid. And we had stayed at his house. We stayed with his parents and she made us steakums in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> they own New Jersey. They own New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty good hospitality. And, you know, he was one of those guys. He grew up in the hardcore scene, but he was getting into different music. And so we just kind of, you know, we, we were, you know, brothers from a different mother, so to speak. Um, and uh, his label was kind of happening at the time. They had cool bands on it, you know, unwound and stuff like that. So, um, I was like, oh yeah, cool. This would be an honor. They had a bank called Y Coalition, I think, was on that yeah, too. That and, um, but anyways, uh, so we, he asked us to do that, and um, um, we recorded that in a really sketchy studio in down that was literally probably two blocks away from Bad Animals. Yeah, House of Leisure. House of Leisure. James. Gary King. Gary King that owned it. Oh, yeah. 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 And he got, he James also had a growing, Gales. I think he had a growing operation going as well. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. It was a huge room. Yeah. Yeah. He was like friends with Tad and grunt truck and stuff like that. But, um, and we had this guy, James Hale, who was a friend of ours, um, who I had played some music with in a band called Thor's hammer. He was the engineer and he was friends with silkworm too. And, uh, we just recorded those two songs and, and literally by the time that seven inch came out, we were definitely done. That was over. But yeah. um, that was kind of, that was sort of the direction, the A side, A side, uh, the heater sweat snails. 
that was kind of the direction we were going in with the music at the time. It was kind of going um, a bit more metal. Uh, and uh, then, then I guess the material on, on Angel Wings, I would say, you know, um, the instrumental that we did on the B-side, Husk, was more sort of like... It was kind of the end of that yeah yeah and it is it's an ending it's like it's kind of the perfect ending because like husk yeah. is sort of almost reminiscent of novocaine which is the first engine kit song yeah you know, as far as dynamic delicate and mood yeah. yeah it was kind of the perfect the perfect swan song you know because you have this heavy you know and greg was screaming so you were screaming so well and it was so visceral and then we had this really delicate instrumental on the b-side it was it's kind of the perfect cool. ending yeah the band, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was really, when I listen to that now, I, I think that my inspiration on that, I was really into this band, um, Rodan, and they had a record called Rusty that, that was, we were uh, we were all really into that record, but they have the first song on Rusty's like this eight, ten minute instrumental called Bible Silver Corner Black or whatever it is, yeah. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful instrumental that's just so dark and deep and I was, and then, the, and then the rest of the records is like, you know, very angular and aggressive and, and, and heavy and, and, and great, very similar to slint in a way, in some ways. But um, anyways, that's kind of what my mind was at with that, with the mood was like something like that first track on that Rodan record. We really liked what they were doing and I don't know, but yeah, it was a kind of a good ending to the band. Cause it's like, I don't know, sum things up in a nice way. Was there, um, when they did the Revelation 25 and then I think 35, had there ever been talk, had you guys ever talked about playing? Like I know Iceburn played and a bunch of other bands that people thought would never play again. Did those, like, were you guys considered? Did you consider? No, we weren't asked. <laughs> Damn, savage. Savage. Well, 35 <laughs> is coming up, so maybe we could put a bug in about that. Yeah, I think I said 35. I meant Rev 25 30. and 30. Yeah. 30, yeah. 35 is not that far away. Yeah, 35 is coming up. It's totally cool. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we haven't really sat down and talked about it, but me, me personally, it's, like, it's so hard to go back to that. Um, I love hanging out with these guys and like i said we're actually going to play some music this week just just for fun you know just get in a yeah. room and, and do something together um because it'll be cool you know like we are, and we're still friends and we like to be around each other so um but I, I i have so many mixed feelings about reunion uh events and shows mm. I, yeah. I mostly negative because it's like at least for me personally like if somebody wants to do that that's awesome and a lot of times I like to be the, the witness of that and, and, and check it out. There's, I'm, I'm definitely not a judgment call. It's more like for me personally, it's like, it's just hard to go back to that time period and recreate it. Cause it's, you can't, it's a different place and time. And um, I realize that the audience, a lot of times they just want to see you play those songs and stuff. But to me, it kind of almost feels like um, it feels, it doesn't feel genuine. It feels like you're putting on an act and you're, Posing, you're, which to, you're a cover of your own, right? You're doing a cover I mean, band of your yeah. own. Yeah, there were so many times that Brotherhood was asked to do stuff, you know. And and the singer Ron, rest in peace, he uh, 
he was always bugging me like, man, we got to do it. We got this opportunity. We can headline this festival and there's this money. And I was like, dude, I don't care about any of that. Like I'm just <laughs> not that person. I can't, I'll be, I'll be putting on an act to be that person and make that music and play that music again. That's not who I am. And, and when I made that music, the whole thing was about it being genuine and about it being real. So for me to do it now, it's not, doesn't feel genuine real to me. It's, it's, uh, it's blasphemy, you know? Yeah. So I kind of feel that way um, a bit about going back. And I've really never in my life really gone back and to anything that I've ever done um, and, and did reunions or anything. I just, I just, I just doesn't feel right to me uh, in some way. Um, And that's just, I don't know, that's me. Uh, But I do like the fact that we could just, hang out and make some music together, you know, and, and, uh, be friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I respect, I, res- I respect that. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you look at what you've done musically, you're, it's always moving forward. I can't think of any, you know, instances where you're, like you said, brotherhood never did reunions or, uh, you know, anything like that. And it's cool. Cause you're still, res- you know, like you Southern Lord did the brotherhood, uh, record yeah, no, to I, still get it out there and have it as as no, a catalog and, archived. Uh, well, and I, and I, I think there's a, there's a thing. It's like, oh, that guy's embarrassed of of that time period. Like, no, I'm not embarrassed at all. In fact, I I I, I have so much love and respect, and 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 that's the whole thing with, with with Southern Lord. It's like I have this platform now where I can honor that and and bring light to it, and which is exactly what we're doing with the Engine Kid. But it's not about that. It's just more about like I just have a hard time with going back in time to create something and, you know, play those songs, you know, and, and it just, it's just, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right to me, you know? Well, it's like an art, like a a visual artist of some sort. You wouldn't ask them to go back and, okay, uh, yeah, go paint that Mona Lisa again. Right, right, yeah. Or Picasso or whatever, you know, you wouldn't ask them to go back and and that's what we do is art. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. But well, I never I thought of it like sure that. that. I, want to make sure like, that I, I just want to make sure to put it out that I have total respect for people. You know, it's not it's not like a diss on any band. And I know that's really that's really uh, something that happens a lot these days. Is and some of it's you know I'm right there in the front row, man. I'm stoked to see that iceberg. Hell yeah, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm really into that. Um, but they never kind of stopped. That's not really a great example, but. Um, there's been other bands that have been like totally into it. And I'm glad I get a chance to see them maybe for the first time ever. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of a, you know, a personal choice, you know? And I, I, and there are some bands that haven't got back together that like, I'm so surprised about that. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. They haven't done like uniform choice. Yeah. Uh, Fugazi minor threat like those bands are never getting back together yeah. awesome like it's so <laughs> i have a lot of SSD, respect for that. yeah SSD, although i, I think they yeah. now say that we'll, in 2020 we'll yeah we'll seven see or, but you know what i mean like i i, I think that's kind of cool in a way too and so I, I guess you know maybe we'll be in that club you know it's funny too because you're you we did another full band interview with far side uh-huh. And it's the same kind of thing. They're they're oh, like, my. yeah, we're we're not gonna we're not getting back together, but like we're all still friends and and you know they they were having a blast, but it's kind of like that was then, 
we're doing this now. So well, it's kind of interesting. I think you might be, did we do any other full band interviews? I don't think so. Did we? Into Slipknot. another was close. Into another. Slipknot. Yeah. Slipknot. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, the Into Another interview uh, was great, by the way. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. We, we were really into that band. That was like a tour, uh, a tour van favorite um, Into Another. Um, uh, Ignore Us? Was, no, what was the one before Ignore Us? BBEB. No? Was it, or maybe Self-titled. It was Self-titled. Ignore, uh, yeah. Maybe all of those. Yeah. Ignore Us <laughs> was, was 94, right? And uh, Greg, which one of those, Into Another was also the first Rev band to use a computer for the layout, right? Oh, that was Iceburn. <laughs> it was Iceburn? Yeah, it was Iceburn. <laughs> I thought it was Into Another. I thought it was Into Another. Was it Into Another? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, Into Another I'll had go to- go do my homework. They had to use one of those like copy places to construct oh, wow. the, the layout, you know, yeah, and like pay, pay per hour. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And this, you know, the, all of this kind of falls into the time, as we said, like y'all are, are young, punk, hardcore kids, and then everybody starts experimenting, broadening their minds, perhaps with different substances, including different, you know, records, um, genres. And then that's, this, is, this is the result of it. You know, you get Ignorus, you get Angel Wings, you get Hephaestus, like you get these these records that it's not just fucking one, two, three, four, you stab me in the back. Not that there's anything wrong with that stuff, but like some people had to take that next step, the next evolution. And that's yeah. well, well and, 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 and you know, we like all that stuff, the chance yeah. pranks and the and and the inside, especially inside out. I mean, that was mm-hmm. I remember Brian. So I don't, you know, Brian was in a band with Ron from Brotherhood. The band right after Brotherhood was called Resolution. Mm-hmm. That's how I met Brian, actually, was Brian was in the bass player in Resolution and the guitar player for so Resolution, the drummer was from Brotherhood, Ron was from Brotherhood, of course. Brian played bass and the guitar player was this guy, Dan Horner, who ended up forming Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah. <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, and Jade ended up living at that house for a long time with those guys. But, um, but yeah, we all came from that and we liked that stuff, but it was kind of like, you know, we'd already done that in our lives. So we were going to do something different with, engine kit you know that was the thing you know and i i love all that stuff you know especially inside out that was when when they came to town did you oh. guys did resolution play yeah, with inside we, out? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. With inside out and it wasn't a man was it a man well, forced down forced down, forced down yeah. yeah and that you know that, that was really important and influential in my life like mm-hmm. seeing inside out and seeing this in, incredibly intense emotional band and you know um I think, you know, I think some of that bled into what we were doing with Engine Kid. We're talking about the emotional a- aspect of Engine Kid. I mean, some of that came from those, you know, that kind of early, the late 80s, early 90s hardcore that was when it started becoming more emotional, you know, um, especially like Inside Out. So anyways. Well, I think it's about that time. Greg, what do you it think? Is. Yeah, it's time for yeah. Hot Tracks. Yeah, so right. to kick the hot tracks. Yeah. Those of you guys who haven't <laughs> haven't been on before uh, or haven't listened, we we pick uh, our hot tracks. Our it can be favorite just from playing it live, recording it, 
or just when you listen to the record the other day, the one that hit you the hardest. Um, so I, I want to start with Tony mm-hmm. um, as our special guest and as an Angel Wings fan from the jump. What's your hot track? Um, it would be um, uh, Knives Like Lies or Lies Like Knives, whatever, whichever way it is. Um, that would probably be it because it does sort of encapsulate all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that I liked about the band. There's like these kind of weird, like, yeah, like Casper Brodsky kind of like hanging parts where the, you know, it's almost like the guitar amp is kind of like breathing on its own, making this kind of feedback. And, you know, there's delicacies to it or, you know, I guess that would be it like, like Slinty or, you know, all other bands Greg was mentioning, like Rodan and Silkworm. And yeah, there's also, you know, um, like My War, Side 2. Totally. <laughs> Always it. Side 2. Totally Side 2, My War. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Forever. <laughs> the um, amount of music that's been influenced by that the single side of that record is like and how, how much it was hated when it came out. Yeah. Is hilarious. Is and great. like so many bands that I love are. Yeah. You know, and and that, that record it, it, that you mentioned that it's like, and that's exactly what we were sort of, what I was like thinking in my mind when people hated us was like, well, people hated side two, my war as well. So fuck them. They did it. And now look at it. So, you know, it's like that, that was, that was definitely something that I had in the back of my mind to ju- justify what I was doing, you know? Yeah. And kind of similar in the way of like, you know, Spiderland wasn't like, that's right. When it came out, that took a, a year or so to like, for people to catch up to that. So mm-hmm. it all kind of falls into line in some way. Um, culturally, I suppose. But uh, yeah, that's my favorite track because, yeah, it's just long. Like back then, kind of what, you know, what they're talking about is like, you know, from getting, moving out of hardcore into, you know, listening to other music. Um, it was always like the longest tracks that I was like, fuck yeah. Because <laughs> it was, wasn't like 90 seconds long, you know, like I was, again, you know, you uh, start indulging in certain things and long passages of music that had something to do with it but um yeah i would say that that track is my favorite off off uh, off angel wings awesome i think next i'm gonna go with brian oh good oh, that's a hard one uh <laughs> Well, the metal guy in me says Holes Defied In, because to me, that was kind of an homage to Cliff Burton. Oh, There's yeah, like, totally. Your bass part in that. Yeah. You yeah. love the, the bass, bass part. part yeah. is so killer. But the fair um, part of the song is your bass part. Yeah. Room the Bell Toll. Yeah, yeah. 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 Totally, totally. But honestly, uh, Jumper Cables is like, it's got like this delicate, weird timing thing that we did. And yeah. I don't know. It's kind of haunting. I, mean, I, I love haunting stuff. So that's yeah. Jumper cables. Nice. Let's go with, uh, sorry, just a side note about jumper cables. So that the lyrics of that were written about, um, so I had a little brother, Arnie, and he was four years younger than me. And he, um, he told me a story about a kid he went to school with that, um, got really into drugs and kind of went down a dark path. 
and that he went into the woods one night and hung himself with these jumper cables. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so insane. He found a tree, like the tallest tree that he could find. And he, all he had, or he decided that he was going to hang himself with these jumper cables. So I just, I was so just, just floored by the story that that's where the lyrics came for that song. Wow. Yeah. And on that note. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you, you mentioned lyrics earlier. It's like, I think it's cool that you wanted to hear some insight about the lyrics. I've never really talked about it, to be honest with you. So, yeah, because yeah, um, they're not printed in the inside or anything. Yeah, we kind of, you know, I was kind of like doing this whole like this idea of like the Melvins, they never printed their lyrics and you figure what, it out. whatever you figure <laughs> it out. You know, it's like, I didn't, do I have to spell it out for you? You know, yeah, like yeah. go to, you know, uh, standing on your soapbox type of thing, like, or not so, I don't know. That's not the right before, but just whatever, like this, this kind of ego thing. But so it's interesting when somebody was like, Oh, I want to know about what are you singing about here? You yeah. Know? Cause there is stories behind all this stuff. Of course. Um, there was depth to it. And it's funny, like, you know, at some point with that band, it's like, I, I just, I would I kind of just not feel comfortable singing. So we would, we had quite a few instrumentals, you know? And at one point I remember thinking like, maybe we should just be an instrumental band. Like we were really into uh, uh, Don Caballero and, um, and this band called Gore. And uh, so we were thinking maybe, you know, I don't know. I was at one point, I was like, maybe we're just going to do that. Cause I don't want to sing anymore. You know? Yeah. yeah we um, had yeah. those conversations. Yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah. We were kind of yeah. like, yeah, whatever. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we like, we like your voice. So yeah. Please. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, it's my time next. Yeah, Man, it's next. so hard because I'm struggling between stitches and windshield. God, I love what you said about windshield because that's so killer that you wrote those lyrics on the spot like I imagine that you would. Yeah. But also the lyrics to stitches with the suddenly everything's all right. That's just mm -hmm. fucking that's what I love about music is lyrics and that shit that grabs you and makes you feel better. And so I got to go stitches. Cool. Cool. Because the, and the drums on that song are fucking killer. Just, and the bass ring out at the end is just an awesome song. And it's for someone that said, Oh, I heard windshield and I didn't really connect with it. I would be like, I would say, check out stitches. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's my hot yeah. track. Nice. Well, I'm going to go with uh, Jade. You're next. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's like I listen back to this album and it's it's hard not to to feel these songs like they were performed. You know, it's like every time I listen to the record, I feel like I'm actually playing it. It's a really weird experience. But I always kind of go back to Anchor because it's a song that I think maybe we played it once or twice live. It's hard. It was hard. It was too difficult to like sing and, and play it. And like there's so many parts. And so to me, it's almost like this outlier because... It's almost like a song that we never played and like listening to the bagpipes and then it has this whole dynamic. It goes on this epic adventure. And I remember succinctly recording that and, and just feeling that that feeling of gratification, gratification, like there was no Pro Tools. You know, it's like we need I needed to get through this, this song without, <laughs> without, a, yeah. without a mistake. Yeah. And there's yeah. all these dynamic rushes and there's energy and it's super physical. And so when I listen to that, it just it just feels like this escape. So yeah, anchor going with anchor. Yeah, nice, sick. Hav, <laughs> uh, yeah. You're so next. I, it's funny. Someone just mentioned the word windshield, 
and and it, if if you play that for someone that it they didn't connect with it, I almost feel like Windshield is a bit of a catfish for this album because you think maybe it's going to be a little bit more like pretty and mellow and then the rest of the album and like the next very next song just fucking punches you in the face those opening chords to uh holes to fight in like (laughs) and so i i wonder if i would have consumed the vinyl version of this before the cassette version and been hit with holes to fight in first um would that be what I gravitated towards instead of windshield because windshield is my hot track. And, and I mentioned to you guys when we met last time that it's, it was such like a mixtape staple for me, especially making um, a mixtape for a girl who might've been into, <laughs> into hardcore or like, you know, maybe someone who's like uh, into modest mouse and tortoise and stuff like that. And you want to give her something a little bit, heavier and so you're like here take this instead um (laughs) but i i holes to fight in to me is a close second um because i can hear isis almost directly ripping it off and i was a huge isis fan and um especially on celestial there's a song that that i think takes directly from holes to fight in and um there's a video of you guys playing it at the fireside bowl, like 94, 95 and, and like watching you guys strum the chords to that in unison. It's like, it was really cool to see, you know, that song kind of come to life and also the exclusion of windshield on that made me wonder, was that just, was that not a, um, a set list? Like, like you didn't always have it in the set list at that time. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know if there was a conscious decision. Uh, I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was a conscious yeah, decision. I mean, near, near the end, I mean, well, near the kind of the, I guess, like near the end of the band and like, you know, probably tours in like 94, end of, you know, the second half of 94 and into 95, we were getting way darker and way mm-hmm. happier. And mm-hmm. I think that song just didn't, didn't fit. fit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would kind of, it would almost be like a special occasion, like if maybe we were, headlining you know which we didn't do a lot but if we were headlining a show um there was a really cool place in seattle that we like to play called the uh the, the ballard or no not the ballard fires the uh redmond redmond redmond, Red, redmond ymca yeah, yeah firehouse yeah. yeah um and we would when we would headline that and near the end of our time and people would come to the shows it was good so maybe play maybe we play it there you know but it was kind of more right and I think I remember that Chicago show, like, yeah, I think I was more like, you know, looking at the video, like, oh, yeah, we were kind of, you know, this is we're going into our kind of darker, heavier thing. And that's probably why I was left off or, you know. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Windshield, too, is I joined the band in September of 93. And I'm, I'm pretty positive it was the first song that, that we wrote with me on drums. It was right mm-hmm. when we moved into the institution, which is our practice space. And so it was actually kind of an older song at that point. Yeah, it was kind of a yeah. remnant from mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know if you listen to like Bear Catching Fish and the Astronaut EP, it's it's a little bit. There was we were we were doing we were a lot more melodic. I think at that point in the band, I mean, there's there's definitely some heaviness, and of course the dynamics are there. But the the, the it was at that time period. I was you know I was really I was really into. Um, 
I was exploring melody too. Like I was really into this band Galaxy 500 and I really liked what they were doing with this kind of like kind of dreamy pop thing, you know? And so we were kind of, you know, there was some of that happening in Engine Kid and it was kind of, I think, <laughs> you know, windshield might have been sort of like just the last bit of that yes. before we sort of went into a more of a di- different, di- different yeah. direction, you know. I mean, we still had, we were still interested in melody, but it was kind of melody, kind of the melody, the melodicism in the band just decreased, you know. Went more and, minor, minor key. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just kind of, we were like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's accelerate the heavy and the dark. And uh, let's, you know, let's, let's decrease on the melodicisms, I think, in a way. But Great. It's interesting, for sure, like with that track, because it is, like you said, it's it's quite the the outlier. So I can almost yeah. see how, you know, maybe you wouldn't have it in a set, um, but it's a cool song. Well, um, and, you know, we love the song, you know, um, we, you know, we wouldn't have included it on the record if we didn't like it. And we, and we, yeah. like, it was like, it was kind of one of those the songs where you, when you write, you're like, oh, shit, we just wrote that. That's mm-hmm. pretty rad. You know, like we came up with something that's like, has this really cool melody and hook and, and, um, and we knew like, you know, we kind of had a feeling like, oh, I think people are going to like this, you know, and, and a lot of people did like it. Um, you know, it's kind of like, sometimes I felt like when we were playing, it was like, we're too tough for that song. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, maybe that fireside bowl set, maybe that was the case. We're like, ah, you know, that's, that's cool, but there's not enough chicks here or something. I don't know. You know? <laughs> we don't want the ice burn guys to think. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Greg, you just lifted up your arm. Do you have the, is that an engine kit tattoo? Yeah, actually. And, 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 uh, Brian, the unveiling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I recognize nice. it from the T-shirt. It's a uh, the train with the fl- train on fire. No, this is oh. the, uh, the this is the campfire. Campfire. Oh, it's the campfire. Sorry, sorry. I thought it was I, was, I thought it was this T-shirt with the train. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. You can see that, that. T-shirt is yeah. Exactly. That was a that was a really cool design. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, definitely cover, need some cover, cover the box. Okay. Yeah. Sick. We definitely need some uh, new engine kid merch. Uh, yeah. From, from Rev or Southern Lord or whoever. Um, yeah, we're going to do that for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And Great. then, of course, I do have to ask real quick. I know it's my... Uh, yeah, it's your turn. Box Come on. Is the uh, everything left inside is obviously a little nod to nothing left inside, Black Flag? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. I had, this, I had this whole vision that we were going to get together and do a cover of that song now. Um, yes. But with the, with, the, with the pandemic and stuff, we just, we couldn't get it together. Um, I wanted to, yeah, I had this vision of like, I had even kind of worked it out a little bit myself and we talked about it and I thought it'd be a cool, like, let's include that on like a new song, a new recording of us on this, on this box, but uh, it didn't make it. But the, 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 yeah, it's, that's exactly what the, the title is uh, referring to is okay, cool. Yeah. And I did see some stores were getting the colored ones in now, so people will yeah, have a chance have the colored to. Version will have that available through our website soon. Yeah. Um, we just ran into a, an unexpected uh, legal issue, uh, which I I won't get into. It's uh, kind of unfortunate, but somebody we work with in the past is uh, claiming it's their music and and not ours. So. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't want to get into it. That's but okay. That's it's okay. Stupid. But it's really stupid, guys. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm embarrassing. 
because I really wanted to, you know, um, our deal was is that we were going to release this for Record Store Day, and then Record Store Day asked you to have like a window of exclusivity. Sure. And so it's like ninety days, right? So after that, we were like, okay, we're going to release the, a colored vinyl version of this, and um, we, uh, you know, we kind of ran into this thing unexpectedly where somebody's trying to claim that they have the rights and it's their music. So we're trying to uh, resolve that. I think it's going to be resolved soon, and then we'll have this out. But but it did. It, it has gone out to some some record stores already. So um, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you, uh, support your local indie record store and it should be, uh, it's, it's there, you know, but we'll have it available through mail order and we're working on a, getting some merchandise together for it. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, but like I said, it's for, if, if you listen to this episode, obviously if you're this far in, you're an engine <laughs> kid fan, yeah. get the box. Cause I, I have, you know, the rev version of, this and the original bear catching fish and it's still uh, a great box to have so shout out yeah, to we you had guys it, and, for... and, and just to you know throw this in there we we had the uh the entire all the material was remastered including angel wings was remastered by brad boatwright mm-hmm. uh who was a guy that i've done a ton of work with through southern lord and he's an amazing he played guitar in a band called from ashes rise who mm-hmm. incredible band awesome band yeah yeah um and, on J Tree, uh, yeah. Well, they released an LP on J Tree, yeah, yeah, J Tree. Um, but um, he's great. So he he remastered the the whole, and Angel Wings was actually remastered from the original tapes. Jordan had the original tapes, and um, when I went to Jordan and told him this idea that I had to do this reissue in this box, he's like, "Oh, I think I got these tapes." So we ended up having the tapes, getting them baked getting them transferred digitally. And then, um, um, then we had it, uh, remastered. And like I said, when, when we went through the tapes, we found a track that we didn't even remember recording. Mm. It was complete, completed and everything. And then that's the angel dust track. So it fits nicely on the sequencing too, uh, of the the reissue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hav, you were going to say something before. What's your hot track, man? My hot track. Yeah. Yeah. We'll let, we'll let other Greg go. We'll, We'll close with you, but, I so I've made no secrets that when when Hav and I came up with the idea like to do the this podcast, there was stuff that I was super familiar with, like you know, Gorilla Biscuits and Inside Out and all everything we've already mentioned, and then bands I I was not, and and in doing research over the past, it's already been over a year, like what a year and a half, I don't know, something like that, it doesn't matter. Um, Iceburn and Engine Kid have become like like I'm a, a, a stan for both now, as they say, mm-hmm. right? Like just super like doing the research made me a f- real big fan of both. It's hard to pick a hot track on this record because there's so many where I'm like, oh, that that's the one. And I even played it again last night. But I think just to mix it up, one that nobody's mentioned, I love the song Fan Belt. Um, because the Melvin, I love the Melvins. They're like <laughs> one of my favorite bands. And yeah, yeah. to me, that has like those Melvins parts. It has a sludge and stuff, but also the end has picks up and gets faster at the very end. And um, so it's like a different kind of dynamic than the other stuff where it's just loud and quiet. It's like, it's pretty loud the whole way through, but yeah, it still yeah. has that shift. So I'm going to go fan belt. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I think one of the greatest honors that I've ever had in my life, well, with Engine Kid, was when Steve Albini 
called us the Melvins of Slint. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that is the, that is the quote right there. But yeah, I'm a yeah, yeah. huge and, and, Melvins and, and, fan, and uh, yeah, we were we are too. And and I grew up with that stuff. I mean, it was like Seattle was kind of a great place to grow up in, um, in some ways because there was such diverse music going on. And you know, when the Melvins came out, I was only into fast hardcore. It had to be mm-hmm. a certain speed, you know, like even circle jerks. So I was too slow. I mean, it had to be faster than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was, I had a speed meter in my head, but I really liked Melvins was the exception because I was so into black flag. Um, mm-hmm. Also not, you know, extremely fast, but I was also into black flag and I loved black Sabbath. So it just made sense to me. And as I got more and more into black Sabbath later, throughout my life it's like you know melvins were just they're they're one of my favorite bands of all time especially the early stuff from you know the 80s to the um, mid 90s stuff like that's favorite record melvins record um gluey porch treatments the first album because i just i saw them so many i saw them probably 15 times in seattle (laughs) during that time period when with the original bass player matt lucan and it's just, it was really important to me. Like I just, I love that band at that time period with that lineup. And, um, I love pretty much everything they did, um, for a really long time. And, uh, but that one is kind of, it's the one he connected with. You're like, you know, yeah. like when I saw him play those songs live over and over and over and over again. So it's kind of like, wow, this is, that's, that's the one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cause I watched the, uh, finally saw the documentary and I saw you in. Oh, I still haven't seen that. I still, yeah. is that good? Is that documentary good? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll have to see that, man. Yeah. It's they fun. They interviewed me for that a long time ago. I was so honored, you know, it's like, uh, to be part of that. Like, wow, this is really cool, but I still haven't seen it. So. Well, uh, I, I actually just got a text message from one of my close friends, Corey Sabatini. Oh, oh and he said, Uh-oh. he said, Hey, tell them that new single is brilliant. And it sounds like if you combined astronaut and bear catches fish recipe and blended it perfectly. Brilliant. Oh, cool. Fun fact. I live above the bar, the night break that I first saw engine kid and tune play at. Whoa. So. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Corey was, uh, he was amazing. He, um, obviously from the hardcore scene mm-hmm. we knew him and that was what Corey was really into, but we ended up becoming friends with him and he roadied for us for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We had some great roadies by the way, which should be mentioned. Uh, Travis uh, Stanley. What, what's that? Travis Stanley. Yeah. Travis Stanley. But the, the most uh, kind of memorable and best MVP roadie cash Tolman was oh, our roadie. Nice. It, it was, it was amazing. Cause we met him of course in Iceburn and then, he left the band for a little bit and he just went on the road with us. <laughs> and so he was like, he was with us for at least two cross country tours, yeah. I think. And, and we had so many amazing times with that guy. Incredible. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. But Corey, if you ever need somebody to drive your tour van at 85 to 90, which is the pinky. He's your guy. <laughs> and you still can like sleep like a baby. Like, he was that it was the only time that, yeah. Only time Brian wasn't driving. I wouldn't let him do that. <laughs> Amazing well, guy. Amazing guy. And Corey was cool too. It's funny. Like 
because he was, you know, he was so into hardcore. And then he moved to L.A. for a while and he was around he was around here when like like uh, at some point, too. Yeah. Uh, the first time I met him in person was in Orange County. He was uh, lurking around with the course of disapproval guys who he's still super tight with and, well, and, uh, and uh matt murphy do you remember that guy uh that was a guy that he ran around with a lot mm-mm. um anyways yeah yeah oh fuck i was just informed greg anderson did not give a hot track for angel wings oh, yeah. oh okay that's on the yeah. horn Corey sabatini talk got in the way <laughs> that's all but right to close this all out greg tell uh, us your okay. hot track um yeah, i'd say holes to fight in it's funny, like to this day, probably once or twice a month, I have a dream that uh, we're playing some crappy place uh, on tour together. The Fireside Bowl. No, not that. <laughs> not that crappy. And we're playing some crappy place and we loaded in and I'm like, and, and the band has gotten back together. We're back together. We're back out on the too. we're back out on the road. And the first song we launch into is Holes to Fight in. And I can still remember my hand placement on the chords. And we play the first like couple bars of the song. And then something goes wrong and my guitar falls off and or my pants fall off or something, you know. Like that. So, so it's so ingrained in my head, those guitar chords and that intro or the, you know, the sort of the first bars of that song. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's it's something that I could still play those, still play it. And uh, it's just it's it's just burned into my brain. And I really like that, that song. I, I was really excited about that song when we wrote it. I thought it really like it was really powerful and heavy and had a little bit of a slint in there, but it had this sort of kind of discordant thing. And um, I I liked Jade came up with the song title and maybe some of the lyrics, too, of that. I don't remember. I think just the title. Did we write the lyrics together or? Maybe a few lines. Yeah. I think that song is is sort of quintessentially engine kid. Yeah. yeah. Especially my this, my this, era. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This this lineup and, yeah. I, and the three of us, that was the one to me that was like and it was I don't think there's ever a show where we didn't play that. Always. You know, always in the always first like, two or three too. Yeah. Like it was always mm-hmm. never yeah. at the end, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it kinda has this had that chunky kind of part is totally reminded me of Metallica. And then you said that the Cliff Burton bass line, which totally makes sense to me. Um, um, so yeah, that, that, that was, that was a song for me that, um, uh, yeah, that's my, hot, that's my hot track. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, engine kid collectively, uh, thanks for joining us. It's really cool that you guys could get together like this and, uh, Tony, thanks for joining us. You're not off the hook yet. And, yeah, um, yeah, I, I hope you guys have fun jamming today and uh, that nobody falls asleep in the back of their car in the parking lot tonight. And uh, that we, be cool too, you know? It might be cool. It might be uncomfortable now at an older age. You wake up with like bad, real back pain yeah, and not back just... problems, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Guys, thanks so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you much. Yeah. Thank you again. Bye, guys. Thank you. All right, take Good care. Good to see everybody and uh, enjoy jamming. Thanks, Greg. Bye. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. My car. I spent the night, and when I woke up.
That was like, I was not expecting all three of them to be together in the same room. That was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, um, and I know that like the older people get and separated by um, pandemic and uh, distance and stuff like that's a really that this weekend that they are having together is a really special thing. So I, I'm I know they didn't do it for us, but we caught it. It was cool. It was yeah. really cool that we got to do that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, was- Tony, when this came out in the Revelation Records chronology, did it, it, it wasn't a surprise at this time because they had already been releasing the Engine Kid Ice Burn Split and Into Another and kind of starting to veer way like into the woods. Um, but when you saw that Angel Wings was coming out on Rev, like, what were your feelings about that? Oh, um, I, I didn't really, I didn't really give it much thought. I know that like kind of what I was saying during the uh, podcast, you know, a lot of that, you know, post core, like revelation post core thing didn't really, not much of it grabbed me. Like, I mean, I liked quicksand and a few other things, but it wasn't like, uh, like, wild enough or like extreme or something um compared to like what i was getting into after getting um not really paying attention too much to hardcore um so to me it was more like oh cool i i might this is one thing that wasn't brought up is that the only double is that the first double record on revelation i guess so no, right? the, the ice burn hephaestus oh, wow. that was i think the yeah. first double lp there we go yeah. but uh I don't think anybody really like, I, I don't know if any diehard revelation records fans were like, you know, giving it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or anything. I really wasn't, I don't know. Uh, at that time I was hanging around with people, but I was kind of like in my own world as far as like listening to music and what I was going to see and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know what like, um, you know, 
people who are really into side by side or something thought of uh engine kid uh but i i mean i i was just like the record was coming out i didn't care you know who who put it out um but yeah i would say definitely uh, that it breaks off from what people think of as far as uh what revelation was releasing at that time definitely i mean i guess that and iceburn were the two like um turds in the punch bowl <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> outliers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had conversations, side conversations with fans who are like, yeah, Rev Rev basically released 15 records to me or whatever it is, 10 records yeah. to me. And then after that, who gives a fuck? You know, <laughs> but, but then there's a whole separate fan base that's picked up yeah. with far side, you know? Yeah. It seems like to me that at least there is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, in, in, 1995, I was 18 years old, and this is the kind of music that my friends were listening to, Far Side, Into Another, stuff like that. And so Angel Wings wasn't too far off the path for that. But I wasn't listening to the side-by-side 7-inch in 1995. I was listening to Chain of Strength and Inside Out and Bold. But like there were some early, like I I didn't really like the Warzone 7-inch around that time. So some of that earlier New York hardcore stuff, and even to this day, a lot of the stuff on the, um, the comps, it's just not really for me, but then I could put rigged on any day and be like, yeah, this fucking slaps dude. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't really say I know a lot. Of, I I'll be honest. I don't really know that much about far side that doesn't, I don't know. Those albums never really, connected with me i remember liking the seven inch on crisis but that stuff yeah a lot of that stuff that was coming out of revelation at that point yeah it wasn't really my uh my bag but Mm -hmm. i think with engine kid it was a little bit more experimental and different and they definitely were like this band that like like greg was saying like nobody really got it because people that probably were into what they were into thought like oh well this these guys were just in hardcore band like Mm -hmm. you know what what do they know about like jazz music or whatever and then the people that probably liked brotherhood and things like that just it, it might have been over their head I, I i really don't know but i know that it was like the one thing like i said out of all that canon of post uh core revelation mm. stuff that I, I really connected with and um like it made sense like it all fit into what i was listening to at that time and what records were like in front of my stereo to, you know, it all, it all matched to me and definitely, um, you know, live, they were really good. And yeah, they, I guess they are kind of like a forgotten band because maybe they, they didn't reunite or they didn't really fit into it. Like, um, like kind of like a poppy indie rock mm-hmm. thing of, of what kind of post revelation was, you know, barring a few. Yeah. As did you buy all the rev records because it was on revelation? I have friends that, you know, even though they didn't like the releases, they still just continued to buy them so that they had the whole catalog. No. You know, to, okay. <laughs> I've no, got some I friends pra- that... Like, I was practical about that. Like, okay. I, I've never been that kind of record collector in the way of like, I need everything on this label because then like, then my life will be complete. Like, yeah. I just always liked the stuff that I liked. Like in 1995, like, I, I mean, no offense to anybody in these bands or anything like yeah. that. My head wasn't at like, you know, whirlpool or, yeah. you know, things like that just didn't, I, it wasn't me at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, honestly, you know, I don't know, like probably started paying <laughs> or like 
paying attention to revelation releases again, probably in the last, like, you know, 10, 15 years. I don't know. Like there was a whole period where it just, I didn't know what any of this stuff was and it didn't really look that appealing to me. Um, I've gone back and listened to some of this stuff now, you know, with the gap of time, you, uh, figure out everything's worth if you, you know what I mean? Like at that point I would have been like, nah, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. But now you can do it and you're like, Oh yeah, I get why uh, this is relevant or uh, people think it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I appreciated at the beginning of the interview, 93 to, I mean, present day, but especially in those times, I was super into bands like Rorschach and born against and that kind of the, like I identified more with that New York hardcore than yeah. the, the the other stuff. And then hearing in this conversation, Aspirin Feast, which I yeah. have never heard, but I can very clearly remember seeing a picture of one of those bands in a fanzine, like maybe indecision fanzine, wearing an Aspirin Feast shirt. And so at the time I probably was like, what is that? This band that I like is wearing that shirt. I have to listen to that. But now it's, 2021 and i've still have never heard it but um well it's still good <laughs> if you like like dirty, <laughs> crusty, like discharge inspired hardcore mm. you'd like it that's I don't know. that's the shit i do like so i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out but uh i all of that uh noisier more political like abc yeah. no rio scene like I, I i gravitated a lot more towards that i think at the time and uh oh, yeah it was more exciting. Like, like it was definitely like, I've said this before, maybe that like, I've never really had a, an allegiance to, to anything in the underground. Maybe like uh-huh. I always kind of shifted around to like where the excitement or the energy was or something. So like definitely when the whole straight edge thing kind of like died out on the East coast, um, that was where I got, you know, I got interested in like citizens arrest and Rorschach and, mm-hmm. and born against, because mm-hmm. that was like, I mean, they, those those bands necessarily weren't like reinventing the wheel or anything. You know, they were just kind of like taking from different bands than most bands in the late 80s that were from the East Coast, you know. So, um, yeah, I was totally into that and like became um, yeah, became friendly with uh, all the people in Rorschach. And uh, yeah, the, that, that stuff was like really exciting compared to like, you know, what other things that were going on at that time. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a 17, 18 year old, I'm still in high school at that point. And I'm more likely to write born again story, Conochrist lyrics on my, my book, my textbook than I was to write like nailed to the X or true till death or something like that at the time, because those, a lot of those lyrics of those bands were a little bit more thought provoking, you know, more social uh, issues and, and also like just way more of a middle finger to especially like you know Sam McFeeder's lyrics were just such like a, a fuck you to everything even to the his contemporaries and uh as a fucker little kid like I wanted to I wanted to know what that was all about and then to kind of take that a step further when Rorschach got back together and went on tour and they played out here and that was the first time I had seen them I was blown away. I was not disappointed at all. I went to the show by myself. I stood right up front. They played all of these songs that I loved. And that was the reunion experience that, you know, it's that kind of thing that I hold on to. And I can see Greg's trepidation to 
not wanting to spoil something like that for an engine kid fan. Mm. So I, I, that, I, I thought that was an interesting kind of like pyramid built on that. I yeah. think they could do it. Uh, I mean, they probably could. It's just, do, do they want to? I don't know. Yeah, like Greg that's true. Be, Greg has seen, again, is a guy who always seemed to be evolving, moving, moving along and, you know, just trying to outdo himself in, in, you know, do you know, making um, challenging music, you know? So I understand where he's coming from. Like he doesn't want to go back and he wouldn't want to go back and play brotherhood songs. Like, um, you know, in 2000, whenever, whenever Ron asked him, like I, yeah. Yeah. I get that. But on the other hand, there are people that have no qualms with that. Like, you know, I don't know. I can only speak for myself, like, you know, doing books and things about, you know, my past. Um, I'm okay with that. But if you ask me like to do anything musical for my past or anything like that, I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Like, so, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to like reunite a band I was in or anything like that, you know, like mm. books and fanzines and what have you. That's, that's fine. So I can understand the trepidation. Like sometimes that's just not like Greg said, you're not that person anymore. You know, yeah. it's hard to, yeah. to mine into that. Some people are that same person. So it's really easy for them to do. So, you know, it's, it's different, uh, different strokes for different folks. I like the painting analogy. That's probably the best uh, mm-hmm. comparison I've heard. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty good. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I can't think of anything else to say about, you know, Angie Kid. I saw them some twice at, uh, you know, talking about Born Against. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Hiltz, who played drums in Born Against, he used to have shows in his basement in uh, Westfield, New Jersey. And it became kind of like a hot, he used to, I mean, it would have like a show maybe every once in a while and then it became every weekend. Sometimes mm-hmm. he would do like a couple of, a week. And uh, yeah, I remember seeing Engine Kid there twice. One, I want to say it was like a weeknight because there wasn't that many people there. And this is like the part where they were talking that I, I, I don't know, I guess I'm too polite. I don't want to like chime in. But uh-huh. I know the second time I saw them was after a- Angel Wings came out. I want to say like, I want to see Angel Wings came out and like, spring or early summer and then they played maybe like a month later at hilt's house mm, okay um, dahlia i remember that band dahlia seed opened mm-hmm. up um but yeah i mean it seemed like they were a functioning band after uh angel wings and then i remember simonetti putting out that seven inch just when there was like whatever word word was out that they were um kaput that they were mm-hmm. going so it all like that's the timeline that i that i remember with uh with that stuff yeah tony what's the uh so we have you know some other stuff in this how should i put this what in the next say few weeks would you tune into the where it was podcast to to check out what upcoming records through the mid 90s here's the thing with what you guys do is that I, I've listened to most of the episodes and like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm personally not interested in or like I didn't listen to then. Um, but the story is interesting. Like, you know, yeah. like Fence Field weren't my, I didn't really, never really clicked with me, mm-hmm. but I thought those episodes are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like the whole story of like Armand from sick of it all being like their liaisons to like <laughs> I think it was Steve Martin and nasty little man or something. Um, and there's something else like, well, Iceburn, Iceburn, I liked and th- those, those are good ones. Um, trying to think, yeah, there's been other, um, 
episodes about like records that I didn't really like care for or care about at that time. But it's it's an interesting story. Like the story of Civ is probably pretty interesting, you know. But yeah, at, at that time, I mean, you can put this in. Like at that time, that's not what I wanted to hear. Like that wasn't that wasn't what I was looking for. I mean, I was. Yeah. I, I don't even think I. I mean, I'm trying to think if there were any like hardcore bands I liked or like I, I was going to see then. But well, since this is this is what we deemed quicksand month. What are, what were your thoughts on Manic Compression when that one came out? I, I never heard it. Okay. Oh, oh wait, I heard Slip and then Manic. Yeah, I worked in a record store and we had it. But again, I, I and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just didn't no. care. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's not mean yeah, at all. Yeah, you know, I didn't yeah. care. And like I had like that was the whole thing is like, and I know this might sound like pretentious or or something. Like at some point, I was just I I kind of figured out like oh like music like music from the past is way more interesting and innovative than anything that's going on now to mm. me. So that's where my head was like finding out about catching up with all the stuff that I didn't know about when I just, you know, I mean, the first music I ever liked was hardcore. That's what my brother got me into. Like, it wasn't like I went from like, you know, I, I guess it would be like, I liked kiss, like, <laughs> like I like kiss. And then like my brother brought home hardcore records and like I shared a room with him. So I kind of had to listen to him by default. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so that's what I got into. So after that, I'm kind of coming like, uh, like an ass backwards way, like becoming a music fan. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Rather than like a hardcore guy, like just finding out there was all this other new stuff out there and it was all weird. And like, yeah, like people, people were doing crazy, innovative music, um, you know, before whatever the sex pistols or something was really like super interesting to me. So like I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't like, oh, what's new on Revelation, you know, or what's new on, on a lot. But that's having said that, I wasn't like, oh, what's new on like Touch and Go either or like some other things, you know. Um, yeah. I was like, again, like really into music from the past and uh, trying to catch up with it. Yeah. yeah, I think the cool thing about Rev, just the star beat on the record is kind of like an art gallery saying you should check this out and mm -hmm. you you giving it a chance when you normally wouldn't and i think that i was the case where i was so uh focused on everything that was coming out new york hardcore wise youth crew wise but then the, because it had the rev store on it bands like texas reason were okay to listen to when i did connect with it but mm -hmm. um for some reason the engine uh the engine kit lp i didn't really ever dive into deep until we just started doing the podcast you know, and I, and I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So there's well, that, there's that flip side of it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't, uh, it's, it's interesting to revisit all this stuff and you know, listen to the podcast, but like, yeah, I guess I wouldn't really have thought about a lot of this, you know, nineties era, um, yeah. revelation stuff if it wasn't for the, um, for the show. I mean, I remember working in a record store and like the, like in my eyes records. I remember those, mm -hmm. like I remember like more hardcore records, not, I mean, they were fine. Like, again, like, uh, I remember at that point listening to in my eyes and it was almost like, Oh, like I obviously understood what they were trying to do. So yeah. it, it was almost like back. Like I remember being in the store and like just having it on as like background music while I was doing something like, yeah, all right, I get it. You know, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it wasn't bad, but you know, I think at that point, and, and even now, like I can listen to kind of like generic, well, I don't want to say generic, but like 
formulaic hardcore, shall we say? Yeah. I can leave that on in the background, almost like like elevator music. Like I'm like, all right, I know what's going to happen here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you know, you, it's kind of like you know, um, wallpaper for your head or something. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, as far as any shows you have coming up, I'll you know, I'll probably listen to them no matter you know, no matter what. I mean, so uh, maybe I'll learn about something. Yeah. That, that I'll like. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I love that. As a, as a, someone that worked at a record store, how many in-flight program CDs oh, did you see fly out of the door? <laughs> I can't put a number on it, but I remember, we <laughs> I, always, I remember we would like order those like weekly, I think. Like I, it, it was so, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, I was so in my own little world then. And like, to be honest, a, a complete pothead that I don't know if like, like what, why did that sell so well? I think Is it was, there, th- was it $3 or $5? Oh, yeah, it was really five. cheap. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, more, more bang for your buck kind of deal. Yeah. I actually I listened it to it. I listened to it the other day, and there were so many fucking skippers on that CD. Was there? Really? Yeah, I would try I to remember it being it bangers. Because, yeah. They could just I mean, call it in-flight bangers. You're going to listen to Chinchilla right now in 2021, Jason? I... The... <laughs> 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 The the Partridge Family song is on that, right? The Youth of Today cover is on. No, that? was that on the hundred? Maybe that was the Revelation. Yeah, the hundred. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in yeah. flight program has a uh, Steve Salva on the cover skating. Yeah, yeah, I remember the I remember the cover, and it yeah. looked very like I was just always wondering like, did they put their music in like a video game or something? Like I was wondering like why it was people would just come in and buy it, but yeah, yeah probably just because it was cheap as shit. That's probably mm-hmm. why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is really cool to have, you know, uh, a guest host and a, a second set of eyes. And uh, we'll have you back someday, I'm sure. Appreciate it. No, thanks. And thanks for having me. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So, Jason, you do you know what our next episode is? Yeah, I do. Because I've got it printed out right in front of me. But yeah. next episode is going to be the Whirlpool self-titled LP. Nice. Coming up. Okay coming up and i i won't be there i'm just letting everyone know right now Uh, i won't be there for the interview i'm really bummed because probably one of the only people in the world to have ever seen whirlpool and uh and some other things before that but i get another chance right then they have two records you do do. (laughs) yeah so i'll be able to join for the second one i'll be able to punish uh, punish rachel for the second episode yeah for rev 52 oh man yeah you got two years Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you'd like more information about how you can help us every month, and find out some other cool shit about us, please visit www.whereitwentpodcast.com. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next episode. Bidipo.